Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It's the last day of February, and I don't know what that means other than it's the last day of February. What a terrible intro. Hi, everyone. It is time for Morning Combat. My name is Luke Thomas. That's Brian Campbell. And we do have a busy assortment of topics to get to. We have so much UFC, so much Bellator, so much boxing, so much crow eating, which we have to do as well. So that'll be a part of the agenda. I'm excited to get it going. As I mentioned, my partner in crime, the uh, the boss of Connecticut, my friend and yours, it's Brian Campbell. Hello, Brian. How's your how's your 80-year-old man's back? Is it better? Luke, I, I'm, I'm happy to report that uh, I have done uh, yoga, uh, some stretching, uh, push-ups this morning. You know, Operation uh, <laughs> Turn My Back, at least into the level of a 43-year-old, and not, you know, nothing worse, is, is in full effect, Luke. You know, I can't go back to where I was a week ago, crawling on the floor. Uh, so happy to be alive and moving well. It's cold as balls, Luke, but we're getting there. We're almost there. Thank you. It's warming up a little bit this side of the country. I guess yours is lagging a little bit. We have, we're, I think, at like 40-something degree weather today, which is not great, but better. But better, I would say. Um, and you know, Luke, would you admit, what a what a full, fun-ass weekend of fights. I got to say, we knew that it was going to be busy, but the way things turned out, I think, is part of the story. With everything that happened, the, there was a lot of good, a lot of bad, and honestly, BC, true or false, a lot of crazy that happened over the weekend. Tons of upsets and disputed decisions. There's a lot happening. Absolutely. And we're here on this Monday morning to give you the total package. <laughs> <laughs> what was Lex Luger's uh, special move? I, for, I, I used to watch as a kid, but I forgot. Uh, the, the torture rack. Luke, the okay, you know, rack. he'd get them up there and just, you know, bend their body backwards, you know, and then, yeah. you know, he, he also fed Miss Elizabeth enough cocaine to eventually kill her. So that's, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a downgrade on his resume, but, uh, you know, but uh, yes, outside of that, that, a true legend. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yes. Aside of, aside from that, uh, unspeakable moral evil, uh, he's a great guy. I mean, I don't know. He might be great. I'm just teasing. Uh, all right, BC thumbs up on the video. If you're watching on YouTube, hit you're subscribe. Not gonna, you're not going to tell people that you used to work out at, at his gym in Marietta, Luke. You're just yeah, going to hide when this I was nugget? in high school, when I was in high school, Lex Luger's gym was just up, uh, not, not too far, about a mile or two from where I went, went where I lived. And, uh, for a little while we used to go to his gym. Yeah. He had a gym over there in Cobb County. I don't know if it still exists or not, but back in the late nineties, it did. Um, Okay, what else do we have going on? Uh, morningcombat at gmail.com is the email. Shoot us those emails for Wednesdays. Fan submissions for Fridays, dead wrong. We're going to retool some of those, but we still want them just the same. What else do we have? Let's see, showtime.com. You get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. And on, on Showtime this weekend, there was a lot that happened, including on the Showtime Championship boxing end of things, a ton of upsets. What a, Dude, what a crazy what weekend, a as you indicated. You want action and a triple header? Showtime Championship Boxing gave that to you. And then you had the Friday afternoon Bellator card in front of that sick crowd in Dublin. It was a great weekend go. for Showtime. And Luke, I finished off the uh, the Bill Cosby uh, doc. So shout out to uh, our boy W. Kamal Bell for that one. Wow. That's a think piece right there. He okay? did a good job with that. Wow. A really good job with that. So if you want Showtime, you can get that for free for 30 days. Just give it a try. And then, uh, oh, Sports Podcast Awards. We got to keep on hammering that. Sports Podcast Awards. Want to let the folks know they can go and vote for that as soon as they want. Please go do it. And BC, we should also mention at the top of the show, 
Our pregame preview for UFC 272 is out. It is BC, yours truly, Chuck Mendenhall. It is up. It is ready for viewing. And honestly, BC, I, I watched it last night. It's a it's a return to form, I think. Yeah, you know, there wasn't enough bitch. That the, I guess that's what the people wanted from BC, some, some sloppy bitches. But uh, we didn't have that on the cold rooftop, excuse me. But I do want to apologize, Luke. Apparently... You know, when I get a little intoxicated, I tend to cut Chuck Mindenhall off every single sentence. You know, you. I mean, look, it's a it's a character flaw, Luke. Okay, all I can do, you know, I apologize to that man. I mean, sure, he's going to cash that check regardless. But Chuck, yes. we love you. Uh, we did preview this Saturday's pay per view, like men do, and we'll have uh, plenty more bonus content this week. UFC two seven two interviews. We got a resume review this week, Luke. Right? Right? Yes, we right? do. Yes, we do. Okay. Okay, bro. Okay. So it should be a lot of fun. Be on the lookout for that. But right now, pregame preview, UFC 272, Chuck Mendenhall, BC, me on the roof, drinking, and a lot of other things. So a lot of fun. Go check that out. Uh, okay, BC, without further ado, you ready to get this party started? Yeah, I am I was I was born ready like Big Red Canelo, who's no longer on Showtime, Luke. We had a good run, though, you know? So we had a nice one run. Out you know what? Him. We covered the shit out of that Caleb Plant fight. Can't take that from us. I'll tell you what. Uh, okay, we start then. With topic number one, we will go to the UFC first. Islam Makachev makes very short work of Bobby Green. You know, and listen, here's the deal, BC. Bobby Green came into this fight on short notice, unranked. We all knew that it was going to be a tough assignment, potentially doable, at least in theory, but not going to be that easy. And instead, Makachev just rolls right over him. So let's start with this one, BC. A, what did you make of the fight? And B... Are we now at the point with Islam Makachev where his next fight should be for the winner of the Gaethje versus Oliveira fight, namely for a title? I mean, Luke, you could argue that we'd already been at that point. You could argue that his nine-fight win streak put him in the conversation. It was him or Gaethje. I was happy that the UFC went in the direction of Justin Gaethje, who I believe uh, deserves it and, and, and still. But they couldn't have gone wrong if they'd gone Mahachev. He, he had, of course, to do one more hurdle. It's just, we thought it was going to be Benil Dariush. We know how we got here with Bobby Green. And what can we say, Luke? Did it go how we expected in the end? Yeah. But this just reconfirmed, uh, you know, cemented, solidified. He's, I mean, he might be the most dangerous mixed martial artist in the world at the moment not wearing a UFC title. I mean, this guy is so ready to, to find out how great he could be it's alarming. It's scary. I mean, Luke, just looking at how how cut he is, how physically prepared and ready, the mental focus, and then when he goes out there and executes, uh, you know, Luke, sometimes people get mad when BC sits in front of a microphone because I can be all or nothing. You know, my therapist will tell you, or my wife, either or, Luke. They're not the same person, <laughs> by the way. But they'll both tell you that, you know, I can be a little all or nothing have they, sometimes. Have they both told you that it's all your fault? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, most of the women in my life historically have told me that, Luke. Uh, you know, but the point of this is, you know, look, we're podcasters. We're filling time. If somebody's got a bad performance, God, they're washed. If somebody's got a great performance, they're the next big thing. Luke, be honest with me. Mahachev, and again, it's not about Bobby Green. It's about the performance and the, the win streak. Dude, he just he doesn't just look like he's ready to, like, go in there and grab the lightweight title next no matter who's wearing it, when he finally gets his chance. For all the talk that there's no Habib 2.0, there'll never be another Habib, but, you know, Mahachev is the closest, and he's got Uncle Habib in the corner, and he comes from the Abdulmanap uh, RIP, you know, camp and all that. 
Look, he might be even closer to Habib than I think we even give him credit sometimes. Is that yeah. a is that an emotional reaction there, Luke? I mean, he's he's com- he's not only complete, he's not only intimidating and destructive, but Luke, his intangibles are like a, a forget a ten out of ten. They're like a fifty out of ten. I mean, this guy is a tank, ready to go in there and and, and just run over people. Luke, answer that question for me specifically. Habib might be the greatest fighter of all time. I mean, he's actually in that discussion. So I'm not trying to say Mahachev is knocking on that door. He hasn't even fought for a title yet. But are you feeling what I'm feeling when you watch him that, like, will allow him to tell us how good he can be once he finally steps up to the highest level? But as of right now, I have no freaking idea where his ceiling is, and I like that. I like that feeling, Luke. I love that feeling. You know, you mentioned about where he is relative to Habib. In certain ways, it seems like he's relying upon Habib to get the kind of support and general awareness about the stage of his career that he otherwise wouldn't have, and that's a real benefit. On the other hand, I think you're right. We should consider, including what he can do in the striking department, that obviously the similarities are going to be there, probably always going to be there. Not only is he his own unique fighter, though, but that he might have some portions of his game that could well exceed what what Habib was able to do in terms of the maximization of some of his overall um, pieces there. Dude, he is... Listen, if you wanted to argue that the, that he doesn't have enough elite wins to merit one, there probably is something to that. But that wasn't his fault, right? He was supposed to get Benil Dariush, which would have been a very elite win had he been able to capture it, but of course it fell out. So you look at around here now, what's left, Benil Dariush might have a longer timeline for return. I did see some people say he could fight Mike Chandler. BC, listen, here's the deal. Would I hate an Islam Makachev-Michael Chandler fight? No, no, I would not hate it. It'd be a great fight. But do I really need to see that to know that Makachev is a worthy title contender? No, I really don't. It seems almost, I won't say a waste because that'd be a, a, an amazing fight, but it seems, I'll, put, I'll, put, I'll punch it right back to you, it seems to me, BC, a little unnecessary. We could get a fresh contender in there with a fresh set of, of uh, potential matchups if he becomes the champion. I think that really should be looked at more closely. And, and the thing about you, what you just said there, you said you said what we all feel. God, if he had to wait one more fight with this 10-fight win streak, would we hate Chandler? No. But, Luke, if he ends up fighting Chandler, doesn't that mean, barring the need for an immediate Oliveira-Gaethje rematch, which obviously, look, if there's a no contest, if there's a corrupt decision, you never know. But doesn't that tell you if Mahachev is fighting Chandler next, then Conor McGregor sliding in to fight the winner of the Gaethje Oliveira fight, right. and nobody wants that, dude. Nobody. Right, right, right. That's you know just as much as like you know they asked Mahachev, do you, do you still have interest in fighting Darius? And he's like, well, you know, no. Let's wait until I win the title and then I'll defend it against him. You know, he gave him respect. He said Darius is great, and that's what it should be. Luke, do not pass go, dude. He he arguably had a better case than Gaethje to be fighting for the title already. So. If he's got to fight anybody else, there's something completely wrong with the system right here. But I think this is a moot point because you heard Dana after the fight. It's Islam's time to show us, you know, whether we're overreacting and how good he is. And let me just say one more thing about this 10-fight win streak and whether he has beaten enough elite guys. True or false, Luke, even up to the point that Habib stepped up at UFC 223 and fought for the title for the first time, we were kind of questioning the same thing because although he destroyed Barbosa, the RDA fight had come three years earlier before his knee injury because of circumstances. Habib at that point also didn't get the full chance to show us how great he could be. But once he won that title, he showed us how great he actually is, Luke. So yeah. 
And, and also, one thing to keep in mind here is we should not repeat the mistakes of the Tony Ferguson experience, where a guy had to go on these insanely long run because some of the preferred matchups to really get him where we wanted to go either didn't materialize the Habib fight or, or, or fell out for whatever reason. Now, he obviously fought a ton of elite guys. I don't want to say he didn't, but there was this waiting period where he was winning and winning and winning, and we just decided, well, he's been winning a long time, but has he beaten the guys to get a title shot? And it's like, dude... You missed out on a bit of an opportunity to just plug him to the front and see how it all would have gone. We knew he was an elite fighter. That would have been a better way to go about it than kind of denying him some of these opportunities. Makachev, again, I'll grant, is it the most meritocratic uh, slam dunk contest for a title shot? No, in that sense, it's not. But with the state of the division and then the state of the performances, it just seems silly to be like, well, I guess I still don't know. We don't know how these fights play out, BC. But this guy is a very worthy adversary of the top five and might just be the very best lightweight on earth. Look, what did he show you in the very, very brief window we had there? And we're not even showing pictures of this Bobby Green fight because it was so quick. We're looking back here at the at the 10 fight win streak and the run that that he's had. But what did Islam show you in this fight outside of just straight domination uh, in, in the manner in which he finished it? I would say urgency. You know, if you go back to the Thiago Moises fight, he really took his time with that one. I, I think he could have finished him a little bit earlier if he was kind of invested in that way. Here against Bobby Green, he knew he had to win. And he also knew, you can't look, this guy is unranked and coming on a short notice, and you're supposed to be the next big thing. You should put this guy away very quickly. That's exactly what he did. He didn't make any mistakes. Again, this guy has, what, 11, 12 UFC fights, and his strikes absorbed per minute. It was .79 on Friday. It's still just .84. 0.84. I don't think I've ever seen a main event fighter with that low of a number in terms of what his opponents can do to him. So it shows you he's still not making mistakes and he's getting to the finish even quicker now. There was an urgency of pace he was putting on Bobby Green in terms of uh, the, the speed which the offense was just overwhelming him. I won't say that's new exactly, BC, but he definitely seemed to turn up the intensity to get there in a very concerted way. It tells you this guy's motivated and he's ready. You know, as American uh, MMA fans, which, you know, there's a slant there. You know, people always said, oh, ESPN is East Coast biased. And that's true. I think our whole country is East Coast biased, Luke, right? I mean, the majority extent, of this country yeah. lives in this armpit of the Northeast here, okay? But are we missing out on the late Abdulmanap Nurmagomedov being, you know, he, he you know he's, he's, he's died, and, and God bless him, you know, rest in peace, but the coaching tree and legacy and you know, Habib's picking up where his father left off. And for all we know, Habib can go on to a hall of fame coaching career on the level of his fighting career, but just this style, this temperament, this, this camp that, that, uh, that the late Abdulmanap has started. Do we give him enough credit uh, in this modern era among the greatest coaches in this sport? I don't know. It's hard to know exactly the influence because we weren't there to see all of it. But suffice to say, he clearly provided an extraordinarily important role in guidance and game development. And then also, you just go back to it. These guys who are coming out of Russia with the Sambo or I think there's also the system that um, uh, Koreshkov uses, ARB, which is like a Russian military uh, offshoot. Um, they're just so game ready. They're so game ready for the modern style of fighting. I think obviously Abdul Manap had a large hand in in rearing them to this position, but I, I you know I'd, I'd be just lying if I said I knew exactly what kind of leadership he provided. But to yeah. your point, you know and what these guys have produced is pretty remarkable. And, and shout out to Javier Mendez, right, AKA who's who sort of yes. teamed up with with Team Nurmagomedov to 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 pull this whole whole thing off. 
Uh, let's talk quickly about the co-main event from this card, if we can. Misha Serkinov losing, obviously, to Wellington Terman. We had talked about Misha a little bit on Friday. Didn't really know exactly what the weight cut from 205, or the weight drop, I should say, from 205 to 185 would do him in terms of good. But you see, he looked pretty good in certain spots, fought out of the choke, and then nearly applied one. But then, at the end, just ran into another mistake. Is Do you think this might be the end of the Serkinov ufc partnership? Ah, how many in a row? I know that's two losses in a row since since changing weight divisions. How many losses in a row in general? I have to look that up for just a second. I'm pulling it up as we speak. I mean, look, you know, oh God, Serkinov looks like uh, his body is a wonderland. It's four out of his club. last five, he's lost. Yeah, four that you know. And then, and then he had, um, and then he went two. He went one for three in the three prior to that. One for two. Excuse me, one and two in his, in his previous three. I'd be surprised if he's outright cut, but he but he's right there, Luke, where where he's got to make some changes. I think you know in this fight. He was, you know, seemingly in control and doing well until he wasn't, and he lost. And I, what I loved about Wellington Terman there, Luke, is that, you know, they kept talking about, and you saw the little video package that had the subtitles because he was speaking in Portuguese, where he said, you know, moving to Connecticut completely changed mm -hmm. his life, Luke. You know, you don't hear that. You don't hear that too often, okay? <laughs> Shout out to both Glover Teixeira and Chuck Mindenhall who who moved their lives to Connecticut and their careers just flourished. So let's add Wellington and also let's put respect on that camp that uh, that Glover Teixeira has started that that has, of course, Alex Padeda, uh, who's made the transition to UFC. And look, who's that boxing coach? You know, that guy that's always with Glover? That guy's pretty damn smart, too, as well. To, I'm so, not sure of his name either, but yes, certainly they're his, doing something pretty good over there. Yeah, they are, and this was a, a very strong victory. And look, Wellington himself, Luke, job security wise, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't necessarily in the strongest spot. But this is the type of win that shows you he's turning things around, and he's only 25. Good lord. Um, okay, look, he's two and two in his last four, but he had the split decision win over Sam Alvey, which doesn't look tremendous on paper. But this is a big win for Terman, Luke, to kind of turn himself in the right direction. Also in the fight with Alvi, there was, uh, I think he had points deducted for multiple eye pokes, so he should have won, well, he did win that one, but it should have been a little bit closer than it was. To your point, he needs to get, you know, he's in good good space. Two wins in a row is obviously a great thing, but um, there's a lot further room to grow. It's just interesting that Serkinov came to UFC three wins in a row. He beat Daniel Jolly. He finished off Alex Nicholson, breaking his jaw. Then he beat Ion Kutelaba. Then he beat Nikita Krilov. Dude, he was off and running, and since then, it has just been the only two wins were Jimmy Crute, which was a good one, and then Patrick Cummins, but that was in 2018. It just hasn't been a consistent ability to get his hand raised, no matter the weight class. Frankly, all different kinds of opponents, too. It's not the same kind of an opponent. So I don't know what this might mean, but it's probably not great long-term. Luke, remember um, when the UFC tried to tell us that that uh, barista-turned-elite uh, fighter Patrick Cummins um, oh yeah. like had one-upped DC on the wrestling mat back in the day, and he was going to yeah. come in there and... Uh, I mean, look, I'm not here to disrespect Patrick Cummins. He fought hard in his UFC run, Luke, but uh, they tried to sell us something that I don't think was there. So Yeah, it didn't, it didn't work out for him too well. Uh, okay, yeah. so let's he, get... People say, by the way, Luke, I wanted to shout out MK real quick. People say with our merch sometimes that we're getting too aggressive and selling people things that might not be there or they don't want. But did you hear when we were back in Jersey City this past week churning out content like, like, like butter, Luke? That the damn drug rug is the best-selling item in the history of MorningCombat.store? Like, by far? I did hear that. Yes. Yes, I did hear that. It sold a ton. A ton. What does I that say? I can't believe those ugly-ass things are, are being worn by January Sixers out there, but they I are. I mean, 
to be fair, what do you think that says either about our audience, about our show? What do you think, Luke? I think most of our audience lives in the no fucking section. That's what I think. <laughs> I would have been fine with most of our audience as a bunch of mouth breathing vapors, Luke, but that's, a, you know, it's probably similar. But that's me. <laughs> I'm the mouth breathing vapist. Sorry, I got to, I'm trying to roll up my heating pad, Luke. I'm trying not to get, uh, become a senior citizen too early here. Okay, thank you. You are, you are truly pathetic. All right, let's get to some crow eating. We'll get to a bunch of the other UFC stuff on today's extra credit, which will be out today. All right, point number two. Holy bejesus. Go to Bellator. You go to Ireland. How about Moose? Gegard Mousasi didn't just beat Austin Vanderford. He just bulldozed him. I mean, right past him. Now, BC, I want to get to Habib's tweet about him because I do think it's an important conversation to have. But the first thing is, first, your boy has to eat a ton of crow, just L after L. So I, I want to ask you, BC, about this. I think when I got it, if you get it wrong this bad, you probably got it wrong both ways, right? You not only, when I say you, I mean me. I not only got it wrong on the Musasi side, I got it wrong on the Vanderford side. Let's start with the Musasi side, right? If you get it wrong this bad, there's an anatomy, a little bit of come to Jesus you got to do. So let's do it. How did I get this wrong? Clearly the part you had said all last week about Musasi, you know, maybe not being in like the peak of his prime or something, but certainly being uh, capable, maybe, maybe full of speed, competitive spirit, obviously got a ton of experience and whatnot. In other words, the point you were trying to make was he's still got a lot left in the tank. I didn't believe it. Clearly you were right. Clearly I was wrong. Totally true. Let's start there. Now, Vanderford did implode in ways that I think is a little bit surprising. I don't think that like that's in any way his best showing, but Musasi was in complete command. And BC, here's what I wanted to ask you. When he was asked about it afterwards, he said, I didn't always believe I was the best middleweight. Now you better believe it. Dude, there might actually be something to the idea that he wasn't properly in a right competitive mind frame to get the best out of him. But when he is, and I know it's a meme, but when he is, look at the result. I mean, I love to see that that type of humility and honesty because, Luke, let's be fair. You and I are successful people in our own field and craft. I'm, but, I'm know, mostly self, a loser, but okay, go ahead. I mean, <laughs> elite self-confidence is... I mean, are some people just born with it? Maybe. Maybe you're raised in a in an uplifting environment. It, it, but sometimes, Luke, I think nat we're natural skeptics. We have to see ourselves accomplish something too often before we believe it. Uh, look, Musashi's been one of the best in the world for a long time in multiple promotions. But to his point, he's never felt the confidence to come out and just say in front of everybody, look, I'm, a, I'm the best in the world at what I do at my weight class. And to be fair, Luke, there was never a point where he really was. He was close. He was in the conversation. But to see him sort of come full bloom into that, it's inspiring. It's great to see. I mean, he was almost doing a one-man show on the microphone. We didn't even need Big John McCarthy. He's just like giddy and, and, and coming out of his personality in ways I haven't seen before. He's happy. He's, he's, he's as well-rounded. I mean, look, he's 36, so you're thinking physically a little past prime. But sometimes, Luke... You everything just comes together for a fighter at different points. You know, typically it's early 30s, but right now everything has come together. Now, is Austin Vanderford going to go down historically as the same class of opponent as some of the guys, you know, uh, that gay guard beat to close his UFC run? I don't know. The jury's still out. But Vanderford was 11-0, full of confidence, had shown that at least you could talk yourself into the ideas if he took Musasi down 
this was going to be an interesting fight. And, you know, Musashi punched a hole right through the dude's neck tat, Luke. Right through the throat, basically. And I just loved seeing that. Like, you know what? I'm the, I might be the best in my entire career right now. I'm the happiest, healthiest, most well-rounded. He didn't say all that stuff, but you can feel it coming out of him, Luke. And, you know, tell me the truth about you, Luke. I don't think I, I developed full adult man elite self-confidence until, like, Later. This morning or, or last year or whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, fake it until you make it can be a thing. But just buying in with no doubt, that's a hill that every single person in their own life and field has to eventually climb. To see that joy come out of him, it was a, a kind of touching moment that was as surprising to me as how easily he ended up handling Vanderford. And look, while I think you may have overlooked during that during that recent run, the four-fight win streak, the eight of nine, how steady he actually was despite the Schlemenko hiccup, despite, you know, was the Machida fight closer than it should have been, all that stuff. But at the same time, is there something wrong with Vanderford? Because, I mean, everything Musasi touched just, just hurt him and, and got him the hell out of there. So great moment for the Moose for us to you know, stand on the mountaintops and say, good Lord, he's one of the best of all time. But I don't even think it should have been this easy, Luke, right? Yeah, I mean, even this, so this is this is the part where it's like, okay, if you get it wrong this bad, you got to get it wrong both ways. You couldn't, you can't be right about one guy and then wrong about the other. You got it wrong about both. So clear, I, and I will cop to something, and this, this is going to sound like an excuse. It's not, dude, you put your name on something, you're responsible for it. But like during the middle of the week, we have to constantly look up all of these boxers and then these other MMA fighters and all these cards and we're previewing. And sometimes, you know, you skimp on some certain parts of your preview to make spots for other ones and it costs you in the end. I probably didn't do a fair enough amount of... T I, I was going off a lot of memory on what Vanderford had done. Big mistake. I should not have done that. I clearly got over in front of my skis doing that. I apologize to you. I apologize to the viewers for, for doing that. I don't well, care don't about worry, being wrong. Well, hold on, hold on. You I don't and I, care about, hold on, hold on. I don't care about being wrong. We'll be wrong. We'll be right. Things happen. I was just going to interject to say, we're going to do the same thing about Jack Catterall in about three minutes. <laughs> yeah. So it happens, Luke. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, he, he got robbed like a motherfucker. So we'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, when you just don't do enough of the homework and it costs you, that's no one's fault but your own. And I, I recognize that here completely. I should have done a better job. So I, I take the fault there. But to your point about Vanderford, you know, listen, Musasi is clearly better than I gave him credit. Fair enough. But that knee was shaky. He was buckling. I'm not saying he would have beaten Moose. In fact, in retrospect, I should not have picked him, no matter what the circumstance. But I got a feeling that's not going to be your best showing of Vanderford uh, against an elite opponent. I feel like he's got still some upside worth taking seriously. And who the hell knows exactly what happened, BC? But I just would say, I would say, because I did go back and watch some Vanderford fights. Maybe the moment got to him, too. He just seemed overwhelmed. Yeah. I just don't think that was a fair representation of him either. That's it. So, so while I enjoyed everybody crapping on you and tweeting at me that BC's this, you know, Nostradamus once yeah. again. <laughs> Look, I predicted a fourth-round stoppage, and I thought it would be a much different fight. I thought Vanderford would take Musasi down at times, but eventually the experience and maybe some of the moment that you're talking about would just lead to Musasi stopping him. Credit to Gegard, he put him away, but also credit to Hakeem Dermish, our, our colleague at CBS uh, Sports HQ. I was on there after this fight, breaking it down, and, you know, he had told me off camera, he's like, did you see that leg buckle before the big strikes even hit? 
And, and when you do rewatch the tape, I do wonder if there was some type of injury that happened in the moment or was re-aggravated that, that sped up his exit. But again, the co- the level of competition that, uh, that uh, PVC's husband, I'm uh, sorry, uh, Austin Vanderford had had up to this point really didn't properly prepare him. And, and sometimes guys just make that leap regardless, but that was ultimately why I stuck to my guns on Musasi. I just want to know, Luke, as you're being this humble and straddling the L, is this the worst L you've taken since, um, well, since, since for me, since the Risen debacle, but you since your 30th birthday, Luke, with, with much due respect. <laughs> Don't turn on me, okay? Yeah, you no, know, I mean, it's, listen, you know, I always say this too. When you get them right, my DMs are never full. When I get them wrong, my DMs are full. So you fucking frauds out there who only want to bash me when I lose it, when I, when I get one wrong like this. Granted, this was an egregious one. It's an egregious one. Uh, but no, I mean, I've had worse, I've had worse, uh, you know, L's than this one, but this, this was in terms of fight analysis, a complete failure. So let that be part of the record. Now, that being said, BC, I do want to talk about Nurmagomedov's tweet because, okay, okay you had a point. You, did, you, did you want to get to that? Well, I wanted to talk about the whole idea of like, Musashi's the middleweight champion, but we've seen him in the past operate at different weight classes. I think there's a lot of fun fights given where he's at. I mean, look, what, what is he going to prove at this point defending the Bellator middleweight title another four or five times? I think he should look at the field. You know I talked about the idea of like a Fedor fight or Anderson, bring in Anderson Silva or whatever. But are you looking at the field too and going, maybe the best thing he can do while he's still in such a, you know, secondary prime mode right now is, is stockpile as many accomplishments as he can. Would you love to see him making a run at the winner of the light heavyweight world Grand Prix between Nemkov and Corey Anderson? I'll say this. I don't really know what is right for him because I think your analysis is quite fair that at middleweight, yeah, he could keep he could probably keep doing this and maybe he wants to. I guess we'll see. Or he could go to 205 where this guy did great work at 205. Used to be a 205er for, for some time in, in certain cases. So I don't I don't dislike the idea and I don't want to get right back to, well, I don't know if Gegard can win that. Here's what I would say. I only want him to compete when in the space, whether it's 205, 185, whoever it may be, if he's going to have the attitude that he had on the mic afterwards with Big John. So whatever puts him in the proper motivated space to get the best out of himself or however he views that, I'd prefer that because I would be honest, e- even if you think Musasi is on the level of those top 205ers, and he may well be, you see, you would agree, a fight against Nemkov, that's, that's a very difficult fight, even for big-ass 205ers. Musasi is talented, but that, that's a tough fight. Right, but I don't think Musasi would lose much if he went up there and lost that, especially if he was still the middleweight champion. Sure. He was the strike force light heavyweight champion. We've seen him get big wins in that weight class. I just think that that could be a fun direction for him to go to continue to stockpile, you know, uh the you know, sort of he's had I is this I don't know if this is rude to say, but I like that term I use sometimes that people can backdoor their way to the Hall of Fame without having the big moment. Dustin Poirier never won that that full championship in the UFC yet, but you know, has he accomplished enough if he walked away tomorrow to backdoor his way? They probably, yeah. Gegard, despite being a Bellator and Strike Force champion, never really had that big moment. I do think he's got enough time left, though, to just pick and choose, make fun fights, try to, you know, I was, I was surprised, to be fair, Luke, that he didn't enter the 205 Grand Prix to begin with. And as you transition to Habib's tweet, I want to shout out Bellator for something. That video package they had about Paige Van Zant and Austin Vanderford that led into the main event that showed, you know, their, 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 their 
spontaneity on social media as a couple and the fact that Austin has always embraced the Mr. PVZ. That was very well done, Luke. I mean, we can hate on PVZ sometimes. It happens. We can. It happens. I feel like that was like the best representation of like who they are, what they're about. And, and you know, so shout out to Bellator on that one. Fair enough. Now let's get to that Habib tweet. He tweets that Musasi is the most underrated fighter in MMA. He didn't say the most underrated middleweight. He didn't say the most underrated, you know, uh, guy that I like. He said straight up, this dude is the most underrated. Let me ask you why, assuming that is true, why is Musasi, not just by me, because if what, if what Habib is saying, it's a lot of people, why is Musasi so underrated in your mind relative to how he should be viewed? Um, one would be the lack of that monster major moment like I'm talking about, having never actually fought for a UFC title, let alone win one. It can keep him out of not saying that that we're underrating him because some of us are casuals. I just mean like it can prevent us. Like, I mean, Luke, you look at the, you know, you go to the Wikipedia page, you're like, holy shit, he has won, what, now 10 of 11 going back to 2015. And, and you know, there's there's finishes of, of Belfort and Uriah Hall and Chris Weidman. I mean, you know, not to mention the guys he's beaten since coming to Bellator. His personality has never been one that has commanded center stage by any means. It's always been understated. And I think, Luke, you could argue that he left in 2017 to go to Bellator, which is now five years ago at age 31, hmm. at the peak of his physical prime. So had he stayed with UFC and and plied his craft, eventually gotten a John Jones title shot or eventually gotten a, you know, uh, Robert Whitaker title shot at that point, whatever the cir circumstance was, uh, I think that lack of being in the number one promotion in the most important fight it's subdued. It's kept him on the back, Luke, uh, back of our and, minds. And remember, time. he yeah. won. He won initially in Bellator, but the Schlemenko fight, again, I'm, you can say what you want about it. Maybe he wasn't motivated. He should have lost that fight. You know what I mean? So he didn't just yeah. transition. He had an immediate, like, sort of bumpy um, period there. I mean, Luke, he went He went four. And, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to add up quickly here. He ultimately went five and three in the UFC. Uh, no, I'm now, way one off. of I'm those was the Hall loss, which was, you know. I'm way off there. He he had three losses in a span of like six fights upon arrival to the UFC. And I think, okay. uh, again, I, I think there was never a point where fans took him super, super, super serious outside of us realizing that, you know, he's one of the best. And I told you, you know, during the pandemic when we're starting to do that little project we did on CBS Sports to sort of give the top 10 in the history of every division, you start to go, damn, dude. He's got a lot of really good wins, and we never talk about him as being one of the three or four best middleweights of all time, or or whatever, or what have you. And I know some of that means because he he had you know he campaigned at light heavyweight, but I don't know if that fully sums it up, Luke. Sometimes just a person's personality, if they're quiet and subdued, and that's certainly him, doesn't allow them to make that leap. But multiple promotions, elite everywhere he's been. I love that. Not only is he still getting, not only is he finally getting the love he deserves now, people tweeting, you know, hashtag legend, but that he's still got a window left to do some, to do whatever he wants with it, Luke. So if he, so if he looks like that and he competes like that, he's got time. He's got time for sure. He looked good. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That's the anatomy of a failure, but the failures continue BC. And now you can join me, although not as bad, but we still have to eat a little bit of crow on topic. Number three, dude, this was un freaking believable. I sat there and watched this after the post-fight show, and I could not believe my eyes. Chris Colbert, who was, I'm not making this up, 
a 22 to 1 favorite. Yes, 22 to 1. He didn't have anything for Hector Luis Garcia, who was taking that fight on super short notice. BC, now you gave Cole, excuse me, you gave uh, Garcia a little bit more credit than I did, which you, should be acknowledged. But in the end, we both thought Colbert was going to basically kind of get this done in, in spectacular fashion. Did we overestimate Colbert? Did we underestimate Garcia or both? Yeah, both, both, everything. So first of all, this is a monster implosion from Chris Colbert. Huge. Monster. And while I, you know, when you and I hosted the the lead into the weigh-in uh, on Friday, you know, I gave Garcia on paper a little bit more credit. Say, look, he was, you know, 2016 Olympian, Southpaw, uh, you know, has never lost, although he hasn't beaten killers. You know, this is the biggest fight of his career by far, filling in last minute. Can you still hear me, Luke? I got a yes, frozen. Yes, I think feet. it's. I think I can see you just fine. I think it's just the uh, the uh, uh, Zoom stream that froze. You're fine. But even I didn't believe that Garcia could come out and land the combinations, press forward, have that high level of IQ and technique and a little bit of pop to set the foundation to do what he ultimately did. Now, Luke, in order for him to do what he did, he needed Colbert to implode. So is Colbert as good as we thought he was? I don't know, Luke. He looked damn good climbing the ladder on paper, but I can't overestimate or underestimate. I, I can't estimate anything right now. Are you hearing me? Am yes, I, even I, think, on the show yeah, I think I think you're fine. Just keep going. Just keep going. All right. I mean, Luke, so here's what went wrong for Colbert. I think he believed in himself. He believed in his own headlines way too much. He's the flashy guy with the haircut. Every fight he, you know, put he brings awareness to different charities, which is great. He's he can fight and he can box. He's calling himself the next Deion Sanders. He's got celebrities tweeting. You know, he's got everything to set up. I think he went in there, maybe not too dissimilar to Josh Taylor, by the way, is just thinking late replacement. I don't get my title opportunity. At the very least, I'm going to put on a primetime show on Showtime and blow this guy away. And what that ultimately meant, Luke, was no fundamentals, no jab, no Mm. game plan. He walked in there thinking he's going to get an easy knockout. And once this became a fight, Luke, we didn't see any adjustment. We didn't see any spirited rally outside of a couple counter shots. And I think most damaging, and like you could you could say, BC, you're being unfair here, but I want to be really clear. You're being very the last, fair. The last two rounds when he circled away from action and chose not to, to fight on even terms with Garcia with his unbeaten streak on the line and maybe, maybe his star potential on the line, he circled away and avoided contact. And then after the fight, when asked about it, in which... You're almost waiting. Was there an injury? Did he break his right hand? You know, what? what is the major malfunction here, whether it's an excuse or not? And while I respect that he came out and said, the better guy beat me, the fact that he answered Jim Gray's question of why did you avoid contact by saying, oh, I didn't want to get caught. Luke, that's a monster, monster warning sign. And I don't want to ride that train that says in boxing, when you finally take your first loss, you're done and you'll never be the same because we've been proven wrong too many times and I don't want to live in that world. But I also need Chris Colbert to go back to the basics and prove me right. Right meaning to be that excited about his potential coming into this fight. Not just once, Luke, multiple times because you know how boxing fans, they're not always fair. No. They hold... (laughs) They hold what Chris Colbert did in rounds 11 and 12 
they hold that against you like a like a sin that that you don't come back from. Luke, he, you know, true, true or false, BC. Eleventh and twelfth round came around, and he was not trying to win. He was not trying to win, and he admitted it afterwards. He said, "I was not trying to win because I didn't want to get caught. This right. wasn't my night. I wasn't going to take a chance." I'm sorry if you're calling yourself primetime. You're undefeated. You're getting a main event slot. You're being, you know, primed for a title shot, and the fight is not going your way. This is no different than No Moss. This is no different than Rigandal walking out of the ring against Lomachenko and being like, "F y'all." He did it a different way, Luke. But it's no more respected, especially not among the boxing hardcores. This was Hector Garcia's night. I want to see him fight Gutierrez for the world title. I want to see him get rewarded for this. But Chris Colbert's got a lot of explaining to do moving forward. Dude, I'm so glad you brought one thing up because there was one thing I said on Friday, which I will stand by, has been true in his career, although was utterly absent in this fight, which was shocking to me. The adjustments. Dude, Chris Colbert can make adjustments. I've seen it numerous times. And they were nowhere to BC. I was floored after the sixth round. And it should also be noted, BC, dude, it wasn't like Colbert's corner wasn't telling him the right things, both in terms of tactical switching and also like, dude, you are losing this fight. They were very, very clear to him what the score was, both metaphorically and then probably, you know, they had a clear sense that he was way down on the rounds. They were not giving him bad info. They were giving him exactly what... I don't know exactly what he needed because it didn't change, but they were doing their damn their level best to impart to him the urgency of it, and it had no effect. And also, you start watching him, BC, go back. Uh, he had a decent second round, if I recall, and then not much after that. Right around the fourth or fifth round, uh, he goes back to the corner. He's still in pretty good shape because at this point, he is still standing, and he has his arms on the ropes, and he has this look on his face like, okay, I, I punted the first third of this fight to you, I'm terribly unconcerned with it. And you could see the look on his trainers being like, are you listening to me? Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Dude, this was a super, super off performance with him. I'm with you. It is foolish to take a 25-year-old guy and look at this and say, this is the best he can do. And anytime he levels up, he's going to do this. We have no idea if that's true. But it is shocking that a guy this good turned in a performance this uninspired. Now, I also want to say something, though. One of the reasons why he was uninspired was I think he took his opponent lightly. And then more to that point, we got to give credit to Garcia. Dude, he was all business oh, from the good. first round on. He was jabbing up the face of, of Colbert. And, dude, he had good, smart, intelligent boxing for the duration of that contest. He never bought into the traps. He never bought in to the complicating things that sometimes Colbert was trying he had a, a, a lunch pail, but a highly intelligent boxing game as well. And he put Colbert in spaces he did not think he was going to be. you got to give Garcia credit for that. You know, and it's the same thing that we're going to talk about with Jack Catterall in a second. You know, Garcia's record up to this point didn't suggest that this was possible. But he raised his game in the moment. He had the amateur credentials. And again, I want to see Hector Garcia again. I want to see him on Showtime again. I want to see him get big opportunities. But Luke... You know, I tweeted that, you know, short of getting starched in round one and KO, this was worst case scenario for Colbert. And I think some some people in the know tweeted me back, rightfully so, and they're like, no, nah, BC, it would have been better if he got KO one here Agreed. and Agreed. didn't show us, you know, didn't show us all the cards, you know, and the cards this this time, they were not there. I don't want to, it's tough to make a comparison here because Teofimo Lopez just imploded big time against Cambosos. And we don't know what's going to happen with Teo. But do you remember when before Teofimo beat Lomachenko, we had that fight against Masayoshi Nakatani in 2019? Yes. 
And it he was came here out, at uh, MGM in DC. He came out flat as can be. And, you know, what we found out later, of course, I've told the story before that his parent, his mother and his sister was like verbally attacking Teo's new wife backstage. And he thought there was going to be a physical, like his whole world was blown up. And he came out there against a determined, technically strong opponent. And he was down early and he looked like shit, to be fair. But Luke, he gutted it out. He rallied and he pulled off a decision. And ultimately, he was better for having done that. He came back against Lomachenko, proved us all wrong that he is the goods. Well, Teo, you're going to have to prove us all wrong again, of course, against Cambosis. But Colbert had that same opportunity in the second half to have that Masayoshi Nakatani type fight. And look, I, he didn't try. That's 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 the problem. You didn't see the 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 want, the will, and that's again something that he's going to have to go back to the uh, to the lab and ask himself: Did I freeze in my moment? Am I ready to for this much smoke? To, to willingly tell everybody that I'm the next big thing on this night. He wasn't Luke. So, um, high, th- high drama, <laughs> high theater and a triple header on Saturday that, that gave us, I mean, look, we're, we don't really have room in this show to break it down, but did you see that opener? Oh, that, the, that the Ancajas, uh, German Ancajas fight. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it, oh was, it was the opener. We barely even talked about it last week and it's arguably already in contention for fight of the year for boxing. I mean, what, you know, folks, if you want to go back and get your 30 days free of Showtime and check that fight <laughs> yeah. out, good Lord, what a fight. So uh, great night for boxing. And Luke, just to double down, I know there's got to be MMA fans going, are you serious? You guys aren't going to talk about Armin Saryukin? Like, what the, what oh. the F is wrong with you guys? Oh, we are. He's going to lead extra credit. We're going to go into okay. and, and yeah, I did a post And I did a post-fight show where we got to Saryukin. Yeah, so why well, don't you so. shut up, MMA fans, all right? We, we're getting to the stuff we haven't gotten to yet. This was bad. This was, a, this was you know, the, the Vanderford one I can look in the face and be like, yeah, I could have done some things differently to get, at least, even if wrong, still a better prediction. This one shocked me. Truly, truly shocked me. Did not see it coming. But credit to Garcia. You're right. He has earned every piece of of what comes next. He is a very good boxer, and I honestly cannot wait to see what he does. Also, I should say, BC, we have to stand by where we are. Chris Colbert does appear to be a smart boxer. We're going to see if he's a smart competitor by how he rebounds from this. If he really sort of dials down and takes a focused, a much more focused approach, um, I think he can look at this and honestly raise his game from it. But if he doesn't take the right questions from this and look himself in the mirror, this will rear its head again. So we'll have to see how yeah. it goes. Now, BC, yes, let's get to the one that what turned out to be the... Oh, you know what? Real quickly, I want to make note of this. Viktor Postal, who is a Ukrainian national who, after the fight, when, is, uh, reportedly flew back to Poland to go sneak into Ukraine to go be with his wife and twin sons who are in Kiev. He loses to Gary Antoine Russell. Now, here's the thing. Russell, I thought, did a great job. He earned this one. The, the stoppage sucked. Postal should not have been stopped. I completely hated the stoppage. But BC... Gary Antoine Russell did a great job. He leveled up in this fight. He was the fair winner, even if it shouldn't have been a TKO. My heart goes out for Postal, but Russell showed class in victory. It was what it was, right? There was a big opportunity here for, for Gary Antoine Russell to show us he's legit. And even though Postal was 38, look at that resume. Look at the guys that he either beat or fought incredible against. And Russell beat him. And, and look, he was on his way to winning decision. The stoppage is, you know, from a good referee in Michael Ortega out of Connecticut, by the way. But, uh, you know, it... You can't defend the stoppage, but Luke, we had said coming in that Russell, you know, he's not the slickster of his brother, Gary Russell Jr., who was in his corner, of course. He's a little bit more of a heavier puncher, and he goes after it. This was a veteran performance. I mean, like, I can't pick up, like, one thing that tells you 
Russell, you know, jump through the screen. It was just solid across the board. He navigated distance well. He used heavy jabs and counter shots. He fought like a veteran, and he is ready for the big names at 140 after this win. A great win for him. And that quote, by the way, that I think Mauro Ronaldo relayed about Postal, that not only, Luke, is he flying to Poland to try to sneak into the Ukraine, but he's, you know, he's prepared to walk if he has to. Like, walk across the country to get to his wife and twin five-year-old sons in you know, obviously, in that situation, you know, you and I would would scratch, crawl and, and and scratch and do whatever it took to defend our family. But my heart goes out to him, to the Klitschko brothers, to Lomachenko and Usyk, who have now you know come back to the country and and taken up arms. I mean, Luke, the, I mean, the Pat Tillman story was rightfully applauded for his bravery and his his pride in his country. But but these guys, you know, I mean, Tillman included, you know, they have millions of reasons to take a desk job here and and they're they're willing to risk it all. I, I don't even know how to analyze that as as a fight analyst, Luke. That's, um, you know, it's crazy times and, and, and desperate measures. But uh, these guys are all in and, and I couldn't support them more. No, I couldn't support them more either. It's an, obviously a horrendous and unimaginably difficult situation. I was talking about this with my wife, like, why would post all? take this fight given the circumstances my only read would be probably for economic necessity they probably he probably wanted to get as big a check as he could before in going on this dude i'll be honest deadly advent i'm not gonna call it an adventure because that sounds frivolous but this deadly uh cause that he is on or at least this dangerous cause i should say that he's on to go back to and i'll blame him for it of course what would you do what would any of us do we'd probably do the exact same thing or at least we would hope we would do something even approximating the bravery of this man but that was my only thought was that he's probably just trying to get uh, as much of a nest egg as he could given the circumstances. But to the last thing I would say is we didn't quite see it here, but Antoine Russell Jr., Gary Antoine Russell, or Gary Antoine Russell, excuse me, not Russell Jr., but BC, I will say this. At first, the, the fight was kind of up and down. He took over late. He took over late. Yeah. The last, like, four or five rounds were pretty clearly his. It was a nice performance from Russell. You wanted to see something nice for Postal given the circumstances, but... I mean, not flashy. Russell did what he was supposed to do. His brother's flashy. Gary Antoine Russell is solid, Luke. Solid. And that was a yeah. strong victory. Yeah. All right, let's talk about this. Now, we have some, some, I won't call it breaking news, but news that broke since the fight before today's show. So let's talk about it. Josh Taylor, who we had all considered, I think the boxing world had considered a top 10 pound-for-pound guy, one of the few uh, to ever have an undisputed uh, uh, hold over a weight class, currently holds all the belts. He fought mandatory WBO challenger Jack Catterall, and BC, I don't say this very often. In fact, I make it a point not to say it because fight fans, boxing or MMA, they go to this all the time. And I really disagree with it because it usually signals poor understanding of the scoring criteria. I'm going to call this a robbery. This is a robbery, dude. Jack Catterall, he beat Taylor. I know Dan Raphael had a score that was a little bit more inclined towards Taylor. I understand that. But I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't, especially with the with the, the fouls canceling each other out and the knockdown, he got outlanded nearly 2-1 to one by Jack Catterall. I don't understand this. Here's what I'm going to say, BBC. The British Board, excuse me, the British Boxing Board of Control has confirmed, according to Sky Sports, they're going to investigate the scoring of this yeah. fight. BC, yeah. was it a robbery? It's just close. You know, I hate that too, right? Because there's so many it. times we scream robbery. And why do we scream robbery every time? Because boxing is... Boxing's full of shit at times, Luke. I mean, that's supposed to be absolutely upfront and fair. You know, it, it's 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 an addiction, and the us hardcores we stand by it, man. We love it, but it, it'll break your heart. 
and it's not always fair to the to the B-side. I, I want to avoid robbery because, you know, this is a homecoming fight for Josh Taylor. And he's the bigger fighter, so are the judges hearing the crowd. And every time Taylor lands, are they thinking it's landing harder? And, you know, to be fair, Luke, there were four, maybe even five close-ish rounds. Now, I rewatched this fight a second time to make sure I didn't miss it. But, you know, upon second watch and really close scoring, you know, I still had it eight rounds to four for Jack Catterall. So, you know, even if a couple of those close rounds, you go in the fair. Like, I thought Andre Ward's scorecard giving Taylor dude, what, three what, of the first Can we talk about that, rounds, dude? What the fuck was I, that? He just missed it. It just, you know, I, I mean, he's calling the fight remotely from his house. And I, and I, and, and first of all, I think Andre Ward's actually, he might be the best fight analyst in the game today. He's so, amazing. you know, so. So certainly no disrespect, but no, he got this wrong and he missed it. <sighs> Catterall was unlucky. He was unfortunate. But a robbery implies that there was shenanigans behind the scenes. And we see a lot of scorecards, Luke. Sometimes the scorecards don't even affect who won, but that third scorecard will be so weird. It'll be like 118, 110 in the other direction. And you're like, tell me that wasn't a paid for scorecard. Tell me. Either that judge has no idea what the sport means or they got paid off. I don't think anybody got paid off here, Luke, but they straight up got it wrong. So it's as close to a robbery. If you want to call it that, that's fine. But there's a reason why we thought Josh Taylor was going to roll over him, not only being unbeaten, the undisputed champion, a pound-for-pound top 10. Luke, did you see the combined record of Josh Taylor's last seven opponents coming in was 162-1? and he could not have been more battle-tested. I think like 13 of his previous 14 opponents had been unbeaten. Some like ridiculous stat. I mean, it's just crazy. And like Hector Luis Garcia, Jack Catterall's previous resume did not suggest that this was possible. But now that I've watched it twice, now that we've all watched it, there's a couple ways people tend to figure out who won. And they're not all scientific, right? Because it's a 10-point must system, 10 to 9. But if you watch this without scoring... You definitely thought Catterall won. He dropped the champ. He bloodied him up. He landed the bigger shots. If you followed the CompuBox stats and thought that was the story, as you mentioned, Catterall landed twice as many punches. But even if you actually scored it, Luke, I don't get it. I don't get that third scorecard, 114-111 for Taylor, which with the point deductions means somebody gave Josh Taylor eight rounds. How? That's dude? just not the case. How? How? That's just Listen, not the case. You see, when I say robbery, I want to be clear about something. I, I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just. I'm, I can only speak for myself. When I say robbery, I don't. I don't know if there was corruption. I don't know if it's incompetence. I can't. I don't have the information to tell you exactly how those scorecards were arrived. What I can tell you is eight rounds for Taylor is impossible. It is yeah. impossible. How well, can you find eight rounds for him? I don't. I don't understand that. And, and upon examination of the of the the scoring, you know the judges were were heavily favored Taylor in the second half. And here's what I'll say: Taylor did quote unquote come on in the second half, but he wasn't landing clean shots. He was leaning all over Catterall. In fact, he took him down on like a double leg in round ten. But I'm sorry, he wasn't landing. So why did Josh Taylor lose this fight? One, I think he overlooked Jack Catterall. We all did. Catterall had been the mandatory for two full years and had kept taking step aside money to allow Josh Taylor to fight all of these big names to unify the titles. So did he overlook him? Yes. Taylor also had a knee injury and COVID during training camp. So a lot of people do. But Luke, Josh Taylor never committed to his jab. He's pawing with it. He's looking for that one big shot knockout the whole time. And to be fair, 
He's the big star having a homecoming fight that's being broadcast live on ESPN. So, you know, for whatever it took for him to overlook Caterall, Caterall also leaped through the screen with a Cambosos-like performance, not as aggressive, but in his own manner. The right. counter shots. How sharp. Dude, Jack that, Catterall. Dude, that, that left, was it the left from Catterall that just constantly yes. gave Taylor problems? But it was his jab consistently scoring, and I think that's what the judges missed. And, you know, across the board, finding out that Jack Catterall at age 19 had moved to the States, didn't have a big amateur career, and was a sparring partner for Floyd Mayweather who kept getting called back in, was then a sparring, bar, sparring partner for Canelo back in 2016, then became a warm-up guy for Amir Khan and Kell Brook. So he's put in the time, Luke, and he sort of backdoored his own experience to get to this point. But again, like Cambosis, like Hector Garcia, this is a performance of his lifetime. He deserved better when he tweets afterwards or, or IGs afterwards how heartbroken he is because financially they took him. That, to me, is the robbery, Luke. I think the judges got it wrong in the end. I don't think there was corruption involved, but they robbed him of the financial payday and rewards that should come from this because what Taylor said afterwards was, you know, I don't think there should be a rematch. I thought I be beat him clearly. And, oh, by the way, I'm probably moving up to welterweight next anyway. What a brilliant, brilliant, heady performance from Catterall, who never buckled, was sharp as hell, had a great strategic game plan. This was Josh Taylor's worst night at the office, Luke, and he got beyond lucky to uh, to not have this zero, you know, not have this one on his win loss record. I, I do want to say, Luke, maybe it's because I'm jaded. Maybe it's because I've been through this so often. Maybe it's because I've smelt corruption so many times in boxing. I didn't like all the people tweeting, this is what's wrong with boxing. This is why it'll never get ahead. This wasn't that bad, Luke. Okay? It's okay, pretty Luke? bad, dude. It's pretty bad. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. bad. The judges got it wrong. But have you ever dude, swam in this puddle this is, before, This dude? is a... This is... I, I understand your point that you're making, but we should say something here. When Cambosis beat Lopez, it wasn't just big because an unheralded guy, or previously unheralded came in and took all the belts from the guy who had, you know, all this acclaim. And that's a big story, uh, upsetting the apple cart and surprising everyone. That's not the story. The story is that he was a mandatory for one of the belts. That's how the system is supposed to work. It's supposed to work that a guy who puts himself in a position enough to merit a title shot for whatever the belt is doesn't have to get put to the side all the time anyway. I know they take step-aside money down again, but the point is, You've earned your shot. You get it. It doesn't matter what kind of commercial acclaim may or may not be there. And it worked for Cambosis. The system worked for him. Dude, the system failed Jack Catterall. He got to his spot totally fairly. He was a mandatory title challenger. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, and he gets none of the, of the rewards, financial or otherwise. Dude, they fucked him hardcore. I understand not just being disappointed, but losing faith in a boxing system where this is supposed to be the cases where these guys finally get a chance to break through and they fucking robbed him from it. That is bad, dude. That's very, very bad. I mean, what what am I doing right now? Am I unnecessarily protecting this sport that's unprotectable? I just think, you know, the rounds were... I think you can watch them back and go, okay, Catterall won that round. But I think they're close-ish. Look, we've seen... Eight rounds, dude. 
for Taylor. Dude, we've seen way worse. I mean, we've seen... <laughs> yes. CJ I Ross mean, like, existed. Yes, I understand. I understand. I mean, are you kidding BC, me? BC, I, like... this is why I think it's a critical distinction. It'd be one distinction if you just like, well, the, the judges aren't good at their job, which maybe that's just the best explanation. The judges just weren't very good. I don't, I don't know, right? But it's another one to be like, the system of boxing let a guy down who was supposed to be protected in this case. That will engender a greater level of cynicism than just the ordinary, I'm putting ordinary in quotes here, judges getting it wrong. I could be too far gone, Luke, in a lot of areas of my life, okay? Just be honest with me. Just be fair. Yeah. Just be straight up about it. Okay? Again, dude, I don't use the word very often, but when you put yourself in that kind of a position, you turn in that kind of an effort, the system shouldn't fuck you like that. All right. What do you Last think? But- well, quick, quickly, quickly about scoring. Jake Paul, what do you think about this tweet from Jake Paul? I think oh, there I saw should it. be... Ter- terrible idea. Six boxing judges for title fights, three pairs of two, and each pair have to agree on the same score... Or they are ha- they allowed to briefly debate it with reasoning? No, that's the wrong way. But like that's our a regular terrible, terrible idea. Like our regular debates, whenever there's a bad MMA scoring situation, because not of corruption, but maybe the 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 criteria can be you know confusing or whatever. Is it just time to go to five judges and count only the three middle scores and and, and cut out the outliers? I mean that. Like what? How is that not happening already, Luke? We've, you know, what I'm saying, like, because no that's... one is actively lobbying for commissions to do that. Okay, what about open scoring? Something I hate, but I saw Combate tweet that they're going to open scoring next, and you know, we've had yeah. a lot of people do that. Would that have changed anything in this fight for you? Again, I, I'm one of these people who believes that we need to see more data from open scoring. But like, here's the point about it: if, if they had, let's say, they had done open scoring, and by round ten, you got what you got with the scores. Like, oh, Catterall would have, like, what would, you're, you're now making him do even more work and take more risk than he would have. Yeah. He, dude, he already turned in a winning performance. Why well, is it I incumbent agree. upon him to do more because the judges can't do their job? Well, that's part of why I don't want open scoring in boxing because I think it changes that. But I will say, look, dude, you're going to get a bad scorecard now and then just because, again, you're not on Twitter. You're sitting there, you're scoring, you're handing in your 10 9, whatever and the crowd's going sick behind you, maybe you're blocked by the referee. So if that can happen, go five judges, cut out the highs and lows, and, and you get a more accurate depiction. You would, well, you know? well, let's see what the British uh, Board of Control does, the, 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 the boxing essentially sanctioning body. Let's see what they do here. I'd be very curious to see if anything comes from this. BC, what fight was it? Was it the Paul Williams fight in Jersey where the scores were so yes. bad, they actually pulled all the judges from, from future work? And I, Did they overturn the result as well? They didn't, I don't think, no, they didn't overturn it, but that was the Arislandi Lara fight where everyone yes. saw him just counter Williams to death and then not get credit for it. But yeah. Okay. Uh, last point on this uh, point number five in today's rundown Canelo Alvarez has signed a two, possibly three fight deal with the zone. For sure, we know about two. He'll take on Dimitri Bivol, I think, at 175, and take on Triple G, I think, around 160. I have to double check. I'm not sure. He might end up fighting a third fight. We don't know yet. BC. There was a chance he was going to stay at PBC and fight Charlo and maybe David Benavidez. That was the rumored offer out there. We're not entirely sure because Showtime doesn't tell us anything. But that was at least what was reported out there. He went this direction. Now, I want to talk about DAZN punting on pay-per-view in just a second. But in terms of what this opponent choices might mean, whether it's the two or the three on DAZN or the two he would have faced on PBC, what does this say about the next chapter of Canelo's career? Well, look, he has the control. We all know that coming in. And for the for the most part, almost perfectly Canelo has made decisions up to this point that have benefited him financially for sure 
but he's been responsible as the face of the sport, still challenging himself constantly. So, Luke, it's going to be hard for us to come out here and go, well, collectively, Charlo and Benavidez are more dangerous than Bivol and maybe Triple G in the fall. I mean, is that true? I think so. I think they would have been more challenging fights. But up front, Canelo can do what he wants. Floyd did what he wants. But we can't go overboard in being upset. Luke, take out the Showtime part of it and the PBC part of it altogether. What, for entertainment purposes, would I have rather seen Jamal Charlo and David Benavidez at 168? 100%. No question. I love Dimitri Bivol, by the way. But that fight's not screaming entertainment action. Most people don't even know who Bivol is. But I can't sit here and crap on Canelo because Bivol's an unbeaten champion at 175 pounds who has quick feet and is technical as shit. That could be a trap fight. That's not something, you know, that's not Avni Yildirim or, or Callum Smith even. You know what I mean? This is potentially a tough fight in a division 175 where Canelo's only been once. And yeah, he knocked out old Kovalev, but he was arguably down on the scorecards when he did that late entering the championship rounds. So what does this say about Canelo? It says that um, financially he's going to look for the biggest option. And there were reports that the PBC even came back to him and kicked in more money. And I think what got confusing in all this, Luke, was, you know, Mike Coppinger of ESPN was reporting every nugget in whisper. And I thought sometimes maybe they were using him for leverage to put certain things out there. Shut the, the fuck up, the, you little prick. Yeah. At the end of the day, Canelo chose, you know, he, he, he loves working with Eddie Hearn in matchroom sport. And I think there'd been enough people getting on him over the years to say, look, Canelo, we can't say a lot of, we really can't say many bad things against you. But one of the things people don't love is that he waited out triple G two years to finally fight him. And then, had two close fights and Canelo got the benefit of everything, even though Luke, it's not insane to say Canelo won the second fight. Second fight's great. Did I score both for for triple G? I did, but he's always said, I don't care about a third triple G fight, but the fans want it. In fact, Luke DeZone built their whole freaking platform on the idea that they were going to get triple G Canelo three. So if he's doing this as part of like, look, I'm going to fight Bivol, which is no easy task, but I'm also going to give the fans what they really wanted. And Luke, while us hardcores have fear that, that Golovkin, who has been in a few action fights, he's won them, but he's been in a few action fights in which he didn't look all that money, as you would say, since those Canelo fights, as he's getting close to 40. We think that's a potential one-sided fight. But mainstream fans, they love that rivalry. They want to see that. It's big business. He's the face of the sport. So am I disappointed that after winning all four titles at 168, He's not now challenging himself against two guys with very interesting styles, including David Bina, D David Benavides, who most people, including you, Luke, believe maybe is the toughest challenge available. Yeah, as a fan, I'm a little disappointed. But as much as I want to jump the fence and be like, you know what, Canelo? You fucked us over this time, bro, you pussy. No, dude, come on. Canelo's done nothing but challenge himself and dare to be great. This Dimitri Bivol fight is like a possible trap fight. I don't care if, you know, MMA fans don't think it's a fun fight and don't get into it. It's a big-ass fight, and if he's going to package that with a third one to close the year, which Eddie Hearn was was saying could be either, uh, who were they saying, Luke? John Makabu, Ryder? Makabu was one. Makabu was one moving up to cruiserweight, and again, are you going to criticize that? And the other right. one was Englishman John Ryder, who just beat Danny Jacobs. I don't love that fight, but if he's going to fight three times in a year, Luke, he can fight whoever he Even wants. Better, but yeah. if, he's, if he's active, just as a general rule, it's hard to be too upset yeah. about it. And if they did that in the UK in a soccer stadium and he got the full right. Anthony Joshua treatment, look, Canelo, like Floyd, when you get to this point, you could do whatever, whatever the hell you want. 
as a fan, not my favorite choice in the end, but you got to respect the B-Vol challenge. Luke, I'll say on. this. I mean, I'm, I'm like half in the bag, and yes, we work for Showtime. Did we want him to sign with PBC so we could go and cover his fights for Showtime? Of course we did. I'll tell you this. Here's how I feel about it. One, I love the B-Vol fight. I think that's, a, that's part, to me, that's just part of what Canelo's been doing the last few years, really trying to challenge himself. I think that's a very, very difficult fight. He probably should, maybe can win it, but... That one could easily go the other way. I really respect it. The Triple G fight, I don't hate for the reasons that big fights like this get made, but I don't love it either, dude. It doesn't do anything for me. Uh, a Triple G probably won the first time. I don't think he won the second time, and I definitely don't think he's going to win the third time, although, as we know, those predictions don't mean jack shit. But I'm just saying, from a personal level, it doesn't do much for me. This is the one thing I wanted to ask you about. So I spent some time looking at like what were boxing fans saying online about this choice, given the reported PBC versus DAZN potential opportunities. And what they had said was something I thought was kind of interesting, BC. You and I have been of the belief that you know, David Benavidez has been the architect of his own problems more, more than once, but seems yeah. to have kind of figured that out more recently. And just you look at the style contrast, that might give Canelo some real problems. But what I saw from folks was Charlo wouldn't, so that would cancel out the Triple G fight. And so if you had to ask what was tougher, let me just say what they said. Let me just say what they said. So what they said was if those two cancel each other out as like the weaker fights of the two, then you have Benavidez versus Bivol, right? Those are the two tougher fights you could have had. I see a lot of fans saying Bivol would be the much harder fight of the two. How do you respond to that? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that part of it. I, yeah. I don't like the overwhelming negativity against the idea of a Canelo-Charlo fight. Look, is Jamal Charlo coming off a maybe the the worst performance you know of his big run here winning against Montiel but not looking great yes he's also coming off trouble big time troubles with the law and i get he's moving up in weight that canelo would be you know favored you know fairly firmly but look jamal charlo is brings certain you know physical things to the table a, a mixture of of speed and power that we just don't typically see canelo opponents so you know, this ain't Caleb Plan even. I mean, Jamal Charlo has a has a plus side to him that others don't. I get what you're saying. It's all part of the reason why, at the end of the day, we can't hate on what Canelo's doing. But when you look at the, the, the fighters available to him in this era, and boy, has he already stamped his Hall of Fame resume two or three times. If he never fights Benavidez, meaning next year, then we got issues, all right? Then that's telling you he's sort of going out of his way to avoid a contemporary in his weight class, you know, Mexican-American that's going to bring that fan base and is going to bring that pressure to him. If we don't see that fight next year, Luke, you're going to see the, you're going to see the, 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 the public rightfully in the, in the critics take a turn on him like we did at Floyd at times. Let's be fair. Look, looking back, the Maidana two-fight series, like the first one's a great fight. It was close, but even both times Floyd chose Maidana, we're like, really? You're going to wait out? Manny another year again like you know so I don't know man it's it's tough but Canelo's track record speaks for itself and if you don't know about Dimitri Bivol look him up this does have potential this does have potential to be a slow not overly entertaining fight but this is as tough of a challenge as, as Canelo can find right now so I like that Dimitri Bivol is getting this opportunity and uh Luke how much do you think <laughs> I mean, if you're the zone, you got to be happy. You you know, you launched with the with the idea that you're going to be a disruptor. You paid. I mean, Luke, they paid Triple G a hundred million just 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 to put him in there a third time against Canelo, which hasn't happened yet. They also came out and said they're killing pay per view when they launched, and it was a big deal. 
Well, not only have they had pay-per-view the last few Canelo fights on DAZN, the difference was if you already subscribed to DAZN, to you don't have to pay for the pay-per-view. That is changing with this new Canelo deal. What is it? You're going to have to pay 80 bucks on top of your on top 80 of your 80 bucks. No, no, no. So so here's the how it works. If you have no connection to DAZN whatsoever, it'll be 80 on pay-per-view. If you are a subscriber to DAZN, it'll be 60 or 59.99, 79.99, whatever. 60. So they'll 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 cut you basically one month off of DAZN's normal cost or something like that. Which to me is just fucking insane. If they, folks don't remember, they did these this full court press when they launched with Michael Buffer, Canelo, remember Canelo had that 300 Tracy plus Morgan. million dollar deal? Tracy Morgan. Yeah. And they were explicit. And I had I had Oscar De La Hoya in studio because he was part of that whole thing as well, saying the exact same thing. Pay-per-view is dead. Pay-per-view is dead. Pay-per-view is dead. And now they're in fully, at least, at least in the, well, I will not say fully, but they're in at least halfway the pay-per-view business. It's not that I think that DAZN was wrong to pivot to this if this is the best way for them to make money, but it vastly undercuts their initial pitch about what is possible in today's pay-per-view market. It says something different about pay-per-view altogether. Also, it should be noted, Eddie Hearn, who I do like a lot, was like, Showtime will be out of the business in a year. And that, I think, was in, like, what, 2018? Something like that? Yeah. And here they are four or five years later, and actually Showtime's doing just as well uh, as they have ever. So, I mean, no, look, price gouging, price gouging is a survival tactic. It's also... Historically consistent. We paid a hundred bucks for Mayweather Pacquiao. Uh God, Thurman just fought Berrios on Fox pay-per-view for $74.95 for a fight, Luke, that probably should have been on Showtime, to be fair. But although, you know, fun fight, I enjoyed it. But um, I guess it's not surprising, but you know, to see DeZone, whoever's running their Twitter account, keep responding to all the fans that are ripping them by saying, No, no, our original statement stands clear. But pay-per-view is not the future of boxing, but for select pr- premium events like this. And I think you know, even Ryan Garcia's comeback fight, it's not going to be a pay-per-view on DAZN in the States, but it will be for Canada and other nations. So, it, Luke, it looks like they're trying to make back <laughs> all that money they threw at everyone in the beginning. And, uh, you know, I guess it is what it is, you know. That's it. That's it for the top five topics, BC. We are done with them, so let's keep the show moving if we can. Let's get right to DMs from Donks, where the, where the Donks get to ask us some questions. Do that now. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Let's do the graph. There we go. Uh, all right, BC. I think I've seen this. Some of these names are repeats. From Nate the Great Lux. After the Bellator event, BC, this question more for you. Is Musasi in the top three middleweights of all time? Okay, so hold on. Let's take a break on this one. One would be Anderson. Yes. Fair. Two, I'm going to put Adesanya. His record at middleweight is better. Uh... After that, though, it's a much harder conversation. Who goes next? Yes. Yeah, so, so again, we did this exercise, uh, I think, just UFC-wise, uh, you know, during the pandemic. And, and that was the most difficult thing at that time. Anderson Silva, number one with a bullet. But then you're like, okay, Weidman's got a couple pretty damn good defenses there. Rockhold's got a couple pretty damn good elite yeah. wins, you know? Bisping's around there with the total resume, you know, Vitor Belfort, although he split between middle and, and light heavy and even heavyweight, had some moments there. But if you want to, and obviously Adesanya's rising, Robert Whitaker's, well, I thought Robert Whitaker just beat Adesanya. Nobody cares anymore that I think that, Luke, but I'll keep saying it. Right. Yeah. If you want to put Musasi as the third greatest, and I, and I do agree with you that Adesanya is starting to separate himself as I, you know, look at me rising right there. Um, Luke, let's look at the resume. Can we call up the Gegard Musasi resume here? And also, before we do that, 
Is there anybody we're missing? Because, you know, somebody's going to come back and say, how could you guys forget the guy from Pride? Uh, well, you did have Dan Henderson as uh, a pretty successful middleweight as well for a long but time. But the, he, he also split time between so many weight divisions, right? Yeah, but he captured... He was, the, he was the first real champ champ in all of MMA uh, out of pride when he beat Vanderlei. He became the champ champ there. So, so are I you saying know, it, could be, it could be Dan Hendo versus Musasi right now in this, in this straight-up debate? I'm saying one and two are pretty clear. After that, we would need to establish some criteria about what constitutes because obviously Musasi beat Weidman, but he doesn't have any, Musasi does, any UFC title fights, right? He never fought for a title, so... Correct. We're kind of short, and he did have a strike force title, which he lost to King Mo, but that was at in a two, different division. Yeah, different division, different right? Division. So there's just a lot of like, dude, Mustasi has a ton of accolades, but the resumes are so different. They're they're a little hard. I would say he's in the running. He's in the running. Well, it's like top you know, three. yeah, he he subbed out Mark Hunt at heavyweight, right? You know, he did beat pretty good. He did beat Jacare for the dream title, and then I think he also got Jacare again, right? And yeah, and, he uh, stopped him the first time with that up kick. That was just fucking insane, you know. So. Um, he's done good work, so he's probably okay, in let, that let, conversation. Let me tell you, let me tell you some some middleweight wins for for Gegard. You ready? You like this game, right? Okay. Does the Hector Lombard win for the Pride Welterweight Grand Prix? Does that count as a middleweight win? If it's Pride and it's welterweight, that means it's middleweight. Okay. They call they called right. their middleweight division welterweight. Okay. Uh, he subbed out Melvin Manhoof. He's got two middleweight wins over Jacare, both by stoppage pretty good he's he's uh then he came back down to middle again and we've got what do we got here uh scintillating for you to relay this yeah mark munoz um stops dan hendo in 2015 that doesn't suck luke okay stops tiago santos stops old belfort stops uriah hall stops weidman pretty good that's a that's a sick run Stops Carval, Rafael Carval, Rafael Carval, or Rafael, whatever one you want to call him, Luke. Rafael, yes. sorry. Yes. Yes. Beats Roy McDonald moving up. Edges Leoto Machida. Stops Douglas Lima moving up. Okay. Yeah. Compare that to Dan Henderson at middleweight for me, Luke. Okay, so if we're going to look at Dan Henderson's resume, let's pull that up real quickly. Now, he's going to have a bunch of losses. Like It's not like it's the perfect resume, but... So here's what we have early on. So, uh, you know, he's got wins over Noguera, Hanato Sobral, which folks don't realize is an extremely good fighter. Henzo Gracie, Akira Shoji, Marilla Ninja, who that's the brother of Shogun. Marilla Bustamante, a previous UFC champion. He stopped him via TKO, by the way. Yuki Kondo, a legend. Gono, he beat Bustamante again. Masaki again. Vitor Belfort, Vanderlei Silva. Husamor Pajares, Rich Franklin, Michael Bisping, Hanato Sobral again. Fei Zhao, Fedor, Shogun. Shogun again. Tim Boach. And then Hector Lombard. I don't know, dude. That's a pretty fucking good resume, man. Yeah, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> that's would a pretty you, good resume. Would you say that that b both of those guys are firmly ahead of Weidman and Rockhold? Would you say that, Luke? Yeah, I probably would. I probably would. Yeah. I mean, you also have to take into consideration that Weidman didn't beat Anderson Silva twice. Silva lost both times. Oh, okay. Okay, we're doing that. All right. Uh, from at Milo underscore Kodiak. I mean, how the truth in, hurts, Luke. The how in the hurt. hell did the judges score that fight for Armin Petrosian? And how far back would you have to go to find a worse robbery in the UFC? CBC, I thought this was a bad scoring call, but I didn't think it was a robbery. Did you? No, I mean, do you think the, the fight, two fights later, the, 
Priscilla Cachuera against yeah. uh, Ji Young Kim that yeah. that produced a great celebration, but that was just as equally questionable. I don't know about robbery for either. Luke, so he's talking about Armin Pedrosian against Gregory Rodriguez, which was a hell of a fight, split decision. I don't remember feeling robbery coming out of that. No, I don't either. I thought I, I, and it was a wild fight too. It was not a great call, but hardly so, like hardly um, some kind of evidence of the judges being either deeply incompetent or otherwise corrupted. Just not a great call. I see that, that to me is a big difference than what happened to Catterall. What, All right. is, what is on? The, what do you think is on the short list for worst UFC elite decision? Wow, that's a great call. Um, I mean, there's there's always ones that could go either way, but is there like a straight up, you know, like Stri boxing? I I could fill you know pages of it. Like, yeah, you know? straight up, I don't know. What I would say is, I still think Johnny Hendricks beat GSP. That one is a little. I I agree with that. I agree. Um, I'd have to go back and look. There, 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 there are dis there are plenty of controversial and disputed ones, but like, but like even that's not a robbery. Like there, I can't think of one off the top of my head where it was like CJ Ross level. Where you're like, I'm sorry, what the fuck was the score? You know, um, I'd have to go look. I don't know. Okay. All right, at Jack underscore Matt Cool, opening odds BC have Islam as a minus four hundred favorite against Oliveira, according to a post from Aaron Brostetter. I saw it. I got the same email from the odds makers. It's, well, that. I'm not saying it's accurate or fair, but, well, it is accurate. Fair is a different question. BC, are the odds justified? Are the odds justified? Dude, that's aggressive, but... It's super aggressive. I, You know, it, it's hard because, uh, you know, we've counted... I mean, Charles Oliveira's been counted out, right? Every, I mean, so wait, is that against... Wait, so I'm sorry. Say that again. Is that against Oliveira or is it against the, the, whoever the winner is? Oliveira. Oliveira. So the problem here is that we've counted out Oliveira, or I have, you know, at, at a bunch of these step-ups, and, and what does he do? He just keeps coming out and finishing people in record numbers. But, Luke, he's accruing a lot of damage to do that. And he's got to go through this war horse named Justin Gaethje. And right now, Islam Mahachev has such an, a stupid amount of money in the bank from our eye test, although not against, you know, equal level of competition, but just of he's so freaking dominant that you're like, yeah, I could see that happening against anyone. I, I'm I'm a little surprised. I, I would have gone more in the direction of like minus 250, Luke. And been like still aggressive, but I get it. To me, minus 400 is like maybe, you know, because Vegas, Luke, they don't, they don't, they, I mean, they get it wrong here and there. They don't massively get it wrong a lot, right? You know, I mean, like. It's the opening a... line. It's the opening line, which, by the way, the fight may not happen because Oliveira could lose. But let's say he wins. I expect that line to shift. Now, how much? Hard to say. He would still probably be a minus 300 favorite, which I would still consider high. The question you have to ask yourself is, do you think that him being the favorite at all is misplaced? I don't know that I think it's all that misplaced, but I grant you're still working with some unknowns, so it's a little bit pushy. So, Vegas is usually up on the the hotter fighter of the moment the younger fighter of the moment the you know what i mean the guy that we haven't seen solved and in that regard like look would you agree this charles Oliveira run which is spec freaking tacular it's gonna end spectacularly sooner than later i mean he's he's all in in every situation to spectacularly win these fights you can't keep that up dude well and also dude this is the other part like holding a ufc title for very long is 
really difficult. Like you've seen a couple of examples of it. A few, obviously, we have some elite champions who've done incredible things. But for most people who touch that title, it's not there a whole long because you but have not to fight just fucking that. monsters constantly. The rare people who have done it, and I agree with you that like we don't talk about enough how insane, whether it's GSP, John Jones, Anderson Silva, Amanda Nunes, those runs they went on at the top with the title. But Luke, a lot of those, they're dominating. They're not taking much in return. Charles Alvarez going in there and risking it all and coming out on top in, in highlight real ways after walking through hell. I, I, that's going to be hard to keep up. Can he do it against Gaethje? Yeah, he certainly can. Can he end up on his back for five rounds? Could are we looking? Is is Oliveira versus versus uh, Islam have the potential to look like Usman Woodley did, where we were just like, okay, I could see Usman winning, but I couldn't see him just just dropping a deuce on Tyron Woodley like he did. That's what these odds are telling us. It's telling us that Vegas is looking at this guy and saying he's coming and he's not yes. going anywhere for a long freaking time. That and they want betting. They want betting on him. So there's that as well. That's why he's as high as he is. But you're right. Minus 400 is like shockingly high. It's it's high to a degree where you're like, okay, that's significant. Um, but, dude, to the point you raised at the beginning of the show, he might just be that dude too. He might just be hey, that guy. Did you see that funny little exchange between Islam and Kamaru Usman on the desk? Usman was, of course, sitting with Karen Bryant and Rashad Evans for the ESPN coverage in and they were talking about Habib and, you know, how he, he's buff now. He looks like he could make 205 or heavyweight. And Islam, uh, they were joking. Islam's like, oh, Kamaru, you know, if if Habib does come back, you know, he's going to move up to welterweight and, and he's not going to be a lightweight anymore. And, he, you know, it was almost like Islam's way of saying, you know, if my brother ever did decide to come back, he'd be taking your belt from you. You know, oh, I, I, it was fun. It was fu- it was funny, Luke. I mean, you would you ever favor? Let's OK, let's say to, to Habib's BC, young enough. Can we move the show along? Well, Luke, do you like doing a, a great show or do you just like getting to the finish line? That's really what I got to ask you. Cause, I think doing uh, a great show is one where you get to the finish line efficiently. I mean, short of your bowels exploding, do you have another job today? Luke? No, is that, I don't. You know? I don't. No, I don't. I'm good. Okay. I want to ask you a question. If Habib got in sick shape and announced he was coming back next year and he was challenging Kamaru Usman for the title, could you talk yourself into him, him into winning that at all? Yes. Yes, I don't know if it would be likely, but yeah, yeah, I could, okay. I could, I could imagine that. Mm-hmm. So sure. that's all I wanted to do, Luke. Okay, I've, I've made a, lot, right. I've had a lot of, you know, I've committed a lot of sins in this show as your co-host, but I right. needed to get that one out. Okay. All right, at Tyler Curtis one BC question directly for you, hardcore boxing fan. Julius Ndongo won this weekend on the local circuit, and it got me thinking: Is he the worst unified champ ever? He literally came out of nowhere, had two OK wins to win two titles before losing to Crawford and Progray and falling back into obscurity. Five people who are watching care about this, but... Um, yeah, I won't go. I won't belabor it, but yes, he goes down as how in the damn hell did that guy ever win two titles in a division? And and it almost takes away what from what Terrence Crawford did, becoming the first four-belt undisputed 140 champion that now Josh Taylor is, of course. And he knocked out Ndongo easy with like a second-round body shot. Luke Ndongo not only has lost a lot since then, he just lost in like Tanzania against somebody you never heard of. Um... It was a Henan Barrow like fall off the side of the earth for Ndongo, only he was never Henan Barrow to begin with. He upset washed Ricky Burns and he beat some other dude you never heard of for his original title. Yeah, he's going to go down in history as, oh, that guy had a cup of coffee in the big moment. I mean, is Buster Douglas also in this conversation? Maybe, mm. but 
even pro you know the best of Buster Douglas was way better than the best of Julius and Dongo. So he's a historical <laughs> footnote, Luke. All right. Last but not least, Kev J Math. How hoppy were Chuck's beers on the pregame preview? Pretty hoppy. He had a beer called uh, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. Hyalai or Jialai, the old game with the hooks that people used to it's play. It's called like, Hyalai, Luke. It's from that off betting dog tracks. It's from that well-respected brewery out of Florida that I can't think of at the moment, and people are going to kill me. But uh, yeah, you know that's a good ass IPA. It's not you know insanely through the roof hoppy, but Chuck Chuck's a good beer drinker, Luke. He's who he, he's who I used to be before my body failed me, and also he can handle his things, you know, way 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 more conservatively than you yes. and I can. You know? Life hasn't I mean, whipped his ass uh, in the same way that it has whipped ours, um, so he is still able to tolerate beers like a normal human being. And you and I, on the other hand, uh, we are little little. No, Luke, so we can I'm I'm a little turned off. Maybe it's because I do have a history with Highlight. Connecticut had three frontons when I was a kid, including one. Milford Highlight was one of the last in the country, not in Florida, in the world, even to be running. And I used to sneak bear into there and and as a commuter student in college and yell at the and bet all my, you know, McDonald's and stop and shop salary on Highlight like a decrepit loser. You are such a pronunciation head, especially when it, as it pertains to other languages and stuff. For you to look at that and go JLA, it, no, like, I didn't like, say that. Kidding? I said Highlight or Jialai because someone else told me like after I said it was Highlight, they called they corrected me and told me it was Jialai. Is that wrong? Not in this country, it's not Jialai, and that's that's Cigar City Brewing that puts that out. Uh, you know, okay. very good beer there, but. Uh, Luke, you never went to High Live. There was you never had a chance, right? No, dude. I used to go with my dad, uh, but I don't. I was a kid because dude, it's I don't I don't even know if it's still around. But when I was a kid, you could definitely go to like places to watch and bet on it for sure. And my dad, in his infinite wisdom, <laughs> would take me to those. Uh, at a There's young one age. left. There's one left in South Florida. It's at a casino because the rule is there you have to have something to bet on live in order to yeah. have all of those uh, other things. So instead of a dog track, they have the High Live. And high uh, some of the players, Luke. Uh, that that uh, you know, you talk about me talking to four people right now. Some of the players, like Tevin, who used to light it up at Milford High Lie in the '90s, are still playing in South Florida today as pros. Luke, Luke, that sports rigged as shit, and I'll go to my grave saying it. Okay, dude, thank you. That's what makes it exciting. That and the giant little hooks they used to sling the ball at the wall. I love, yeah, what I, the Sesta. I love that. Like there'll be this important game point. And like you got all your money on it, and then one of the guys who's been dominating all day just like haphazardly drops the ball. You're like, yeah, get out of here, bro. Okay, get out of here with that bullshit. Uh, all right, that is it for the top five. That is it for DMs with Donks. BC, it's time for your feces. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. We scour the globe for all that stuff you love watching. There be I look. Girls. I gotta tell you, I used to like when they first introduced the idea to me. I remember I got a call from our producer from Showtime. He was like, "So BC wants to do blah 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 blah." And I remember thinking to myself, "All right, let's try it." I mean, you know, you gotta let BC do his no, thing, so let's no, just do don't it. Soft, don't soft shoe it. I texted you my idea, and you were like, "Absolutely not." Maybe like once a month or once in a while, but like viral video segment, absolutely not, Luke. Because I didn't understand what the hell you were trying to do. And then when I got a sense of it, I was like, oh, okay, that makes much more sense. Now, BC, this is the point I'm trying to make. I, I actively look forward to these. I cannot wait to oh, see what you. you've pulled up today. Thank you. Uh, Gaffney Pierre on the ones and twos has put all this shit together. Here it is. Have you seen it or not? Let's go to it. <laughs> As I die from inhaling. All right, Luke. <laughs> well, you need, do you need to vape anymore before we continue? <laughs> yeah. I don't need your yeah. permission to do this in my office. 
<laughs> yeah, absolute dirtball. Luke, UFC fight night in Vegas. Uh, did you see Bobby Green before the biggest fight of his life cleaning out the pipes at the uh, prep point, Luke? Yeah, no, he's putting. A, he's not cleaning the pipes out. He's putting uh, Vaseline in the inside of his nose. Oh, are you kidding me? I, I completely thought he was picking a winner. Oh, wow. Okay. No, I he's see taking. It now. He's not the, the the cut man is not putting his finger in the nose. So he offers up the uh, petroleum, whatever the hell it is, the Vaseline, and then he puts it in. Some people think it makes him breathe better. It's just a preference thing. Okay, Luke, I was wrong. I, I saw this video, and I'm like, look at him, dude. He's like, I, I ain't going in that cage with a with a bougar sticking halfway out. So I, I, I respected his game on that, Luke. Okay, yeah, all right. Let's keep it going. Uh, Priscilla Cachoeira, as I mentioned, insanely emotional as she gets uh, purple belted after a wild-as-shit fight, a somewhat questionable decision. Luke, I only knew this about her, that she... Got the shit kicked out of her in her debut against Valentina Shevchenko. And remember that ref tried to allow her to be a warrior? It was Yamasaki. It was Yamasaki. Yes. I had no idea that just a few years back she was addicted to drugs and was down on her luck. I have to say, the emotion she showed in pulling this off, whether she, you know, deserved the win or not, uh, between her screaming when they announced her name to this, I was touched by it, Luke, okay? Yeah, there's a lot of fans upset by it because they, you know, look at her face. It's a mess, and the other person probably had a better case for winning. But, you know, these fighters go through so much. I try not to yeah. police their happiness. I mean, should we police the fact that she tried to take out Jillian Robertson's eyeball? Yeah, while see, that's different. Like she, to, as far as I'm concerned, she could have been bounced from the UFC for that. I mean, that was egregious, yeah. you know? Either way, she had her moment, Luke, and I, I felt something, okay? Thank you. Let's keep it going here. Luke, China's Rong Zhu, the first UFC fighter to compete after being born in the 2000s. Good Lord. Uh, showing off some plumber crack before <laughs> before getting Babo choked by uh, Bahamones. Let the rhythm take you over. Uh, what your what choke was it? Uh, Babo? Bobo? Babo choke. Yeah, it's a famous choke. The Babo choke. Mm -hmm. Yeah, real famous. Yeah, okay. Luke, okay. Uh, you mean Bravo choke? It's it was Wikipedia had it. At, let me let me let me check, Luke. Actually, okay. I I would actually argue it's not a Bravo choke either. It's actually a modified bread cutter, which is a long explanation. I had a tweet out about it with the video. Long story yeah. short, it's got nothing to do with it. I just want to point out, I send BC photos of people getting like Japanese style like body suits for tattoos, and he's like, I don't want to see man ass. And then here he is making a point to show the world man ass. <laughs> Sorry, it was a Bravo choke. Sorry, I thought it was like a Bobo choke. Look, you think I care about that shit? No, okay? No, just look no, at that. Look at Gaff. Gaff's like, hey, I'll just leave that ass up there while we continue this discussion. Okay. Uh, Luke, you're going to get... The, sh the new logo should not be the, the fist and the sun. Just be two butt cheeks on a hairy ass man. <laughs> Luke, more Armin Sarukian pro-Armenia takes coming on extra credit, but look at what he did to Joel Alvarez. I don't want your analysis... Is this the worst crimson mask you've seen in a long ass time, Luke? Yeah, this is up there with uh, this is Penn versus Stevenson. Bad, it's a different situation because Penn was choking from the back and then forcing the pressure to shoot a geyser out of the forehead of Joe Stevenson. But uh, this is a crime scene, BC. This is a yeah. fucking crime scene. Yeah, this was Kerry Von Erich against uh, Jerry the King Lawler at Super Clash Three. For those that know, wow, wow, that is a deep cut. Hey, let's go to Bellator two seven five in Dublin. Conor McGregor, Luke, he was there, and he didn't fight Mark Goddard this time. Yeah, taking, he seems sober. Taking in the sights. What do you think of the all-gray McGregor fast uh, workout outfit he's got going on? Listen, 
he is not the worst dressed person at an MMA fight. Let me explain that to you right now. Okay. I'll just put it that okay. way. Uh, he did go in the cage afterwards, by the way, to celebrate, but not in the way yeah, of Yeah, he was on time. his best behavior. And, and shouts to Sean Sheen over at uh, Severe MMA. He got a, a McGregor interview. McGregor, gave up, McGregor told him he was looking at May. He could start like light sparring end of April, and so was looking for like a July-ish Come back to the octagon. So shouts to Sean Sheehan for getting that. Well, he was there to cheer on his SBG teammates, including Sinead Kavanaugh, who we'll get into later. But Luke, he, he joined John Kavanaugh, no relation, in uh, in helping carry her out after such an insane performance. And then also, if we advance to the next slide, McGregor cheesing it up with one Scott Coker, Luke. What do you think Dana thought when he looked at this? Probably hates that shit. Probably drives him fucking crazy. But... Uh... Listen, he's a VIP. He's a guest. You know, Bellator got a little bit of a rub out of it. It's not the end of the world. I mean, you know. It'll be True or false, Conor McGregor will have at least one fight under the Bellator MMA ban. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. That is a funny question. Wow. I'll say no. I'll say no. But I tell you what, that's, not the, that's an interesting question, actually. Dude, I, I, here's the deal, okay? That crowd on Friday... Insane. Insane. And I know that I'm not telling Scott Coker anything new because he goes to Europe a lot and he's been finding these places where they are well, they are as well received there. And I get it. Local fighters in the crowd, big fight culture. But Bellator's like, I mean, it's like the Super Bowl there. So would you be upset business wise if they're like, you know what? Thackerville, Oklahoma, we had a good run but we're pretty much going to operate full-time out of Dublin. If I can get that crowd every show, Luke, I'm staying there if I'm Cokes. No? Yeah, Thackerville is the place that time forgot. Dublin is a wonderful, uh, amazing city full of wonderful fight fans. If they switched Dublin for Thackerville, or I should say, the, yeah, Dublin for Thackerville, that'd be, uh, that'd be an upgrade. I mean, but could you see Bellator making this a more permanent stop? you know, three, four times a year, making it the new Houston for the UFC? I'll say, I'm going to say this. They're going to go there as often as they can. I'll put it that way. As okay. often as they can. Luke, Joe Rogan back on the interwebs, hyping up the new Tesla Cybertruck. I can't talk, Luke. What do you think of this machine? Uh, I mean, I know there have been some design specialists who have said that there's a certain amount of sophisticated wisdom and sort of, a paradigm changing design elements. To this to me, it looks like a fucking idiotic piece of shit truck. <laughs> Take that Joe. Okay. Joe loves here's the that thing. shit. Here's the thing. I like trucks. Uh, I like electric vehicles. Like, listen, if he, if this results in by itself, not being the thing that is interesting, but sets in motion, new designs, new ways to think about vehicles, then that would be great. But like, what do I think of this design? I think it looks like something a fucking third grader drew in AutoCAD, it looks yeah. it looks idiotic. Uh, I may or may not be directly related to somebody, Luke, who uh, built a bunker in their backyard ahead of Y2K, thinking the world would shut down, and bought a tank. This looks like the type of vehicle that, like, Uncle Mad Max would be driving, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also the other part, too, is, like, people are always, like, in awe of Humvees, military Humvees. Let me explain to you. Those things are pieces of shit, too. They're not that money. They're not... You can... You have to get... To get them to do what you want them to do, you have to put all kinds of add-ons to them, like a scuba kit and all kinds of stuff. They're not that money. So just just get a fucking ordinary car, people. It's not that Luke, serious. what do you drive? I have no idea. I know we always rip my my brand new Subaru Crosstrek, but what yeah. do you drive? Black Mazda 20, 
2015, 2015, black Mazda CX-5. That's it. Sport is that utility like vehicle a for the fam. sedan? Oh, it's an SUV? Okay. Yeah, a okay. little, little small one for city living because I can get into some of the tighter spaces, but it's got enough where I can carry the dogs and the fam. So it's it's good for me. But we are in the market for a new one. And actually, I do like Teslas. I like normal Teslas. But that Cybertruck just looks like... So does Jay Aaron. Yeah. Right. Well, Jay, no. See, what Jay Aaron likes is to get drunk at bars and then have the, the Tesla oh. drive him home. No, he likes to sleep on, and then put the weight on the wheel. Don't, we, we can't out him that badly. Uh, Luke, big weekend for Israel Adesanya in the UK. How about a little real recognizing real as Izzy meets MVP for the first time? Your thoughts? Yes. I, I, I had said I thought that MVP was of Nigerian ancestry as well. I think that might be wrong. I think he might be of Jamaican and then something else as well. But the fact that they're showing love to each other is cool. I love seeing it. Adesanya on Sunday yesterday went on to join Anthony Joshua to walk out WBO cruiserweight champion Lawrence Okoli. And Luke, it almost looked like they were forming their all-Nigerian faction here. It was cool to see them with the flag walking out together. It was like, you know, all the sports coming together, like a power. Imagine if 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 Luke Rockhold's vision of Nganu, Usman, and Adesanya doing this next contract signing time at the UFC you know, offices. That'd be interesting, right? That'd be pretty cool. So Lawrence O'Coley is a cruiserweight out of the UK, but obviously of Nigerian uh, heritage. Yes. Uh, all these guys are Nigerian, but obviously have uh, additional nationalities as well, uh, Kiwi and, and British and everything else. But uh, uh, this was amazing to see. BC, you've been covering boxing a long time and MMA for me a, a long time as well. Dude, When like, after the Ultimate Fighter, even around UFC 100, so let's say 2009, so only like 13 years ago, this was impossible to imagine. A UFC champion walking out with, I realize Joshua doesn't have the belts, but let's call him a champion, or you know, was one, with the existing weight class champion of a, another boxing fight. They're all together. I, I, I understand they have the Nigerian heritage, and that maybe they would have done this no matter what, but it does seem like, BC, one thing to think about is, again, these guys may have done this no matter what because of their backgrounds, but I think part of the legacy of Mayweather-McGregor is not so much the fight itself, but how it just introduced MMA and boxing to each other and opened up lines of communication in ways that never existed all that much before. In ways that James Tony in Boston could not do. Yes, that's right. Uh, wasn't and That was just a, you know, hey, let's find a way to beat this guy's ass kind of thing. Uh, uh, Oakley, this, is, this is different. Lawrence Oakley, Akoli, however you want to say it, is, uh, he's big for the division. He won a decision yesterday against a, a dirty opponent. And Luke, Myrus Brightest, the other uh, Cruiserweight champion whose only loss was to Usyk, uh, was there on the DAZN broadcast to talk up a future fight. But Luke, he also went back to the bullshit of calling on Jake Paul. So we remember the Raisin Balls theme song that, that Myrus Brightest did after getting the Jake tattoo. Well, Luke, Jake came back and said, I have no idea who this Mario guy is. So Brightest dressed up like Super Mario and did analysis like this and then got in the ring dressed as Super Mario and gave Lawrence Oakley a bag of McDonald's because he heard that Oakley likes to eat that. Luke, I can't tell you how before this whole Jake Paul saga started, Myrus Brightest from Latvia was one of the most like badass, respected cruiserweight champions, only lost to Usyk, and it was a war. What the hell's going on with this dude? He doesn't have good shtick. He has really bad shtick. 
really. I mean, who is who is advising this guy? I mean, I guess it's getting him known outside of boxing, but not for anything good, Luke. And it's not going to get it, dude. Jake Paul. I don't understand this, dude. Jake Paul's not going to fight good fighters. He's not going to fight the best cruiserweight in the world. Like, stop, Wait, dude. dude what, like, well, you could, you could, you you can do this until you're 80. He's not going to fight you. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why? I, it's like, okay, all right. So you, all right, keep Luke, dressing up like Halloween. Uh, Eddie Hearn and the boxing world is going nuts on this undercard yesterday. Jordan Gill took on Kareem Gurfi. Jordan Gill was getting the shit beat out of him, and then he got DDT Jake the Snake style. Good Lord, Luke. I saw this. I saw. I mean, this. That, I mean, that's like it's over. The fight's over. Only it wasn't over, Luke. Gill would get up, shake off the CTE, and look at this comeback finish down on the scorecards, knocking out. I believe it's pronounced Gurfi. Gurfi. Yeah. So my understanding is the gentleman who wins here, as he landed that punch, had both eardrums perforated. Wow. Probably so from he that landed DDT. this knockout shot as like a basic Hail Mary, even after both eardrums were per- perforated. In fact, when he walks back to his corner, he walks back mostly normal, but a little bit wobbly because I bet his balance was fucked from having that happen to him. What Jordan the Thrill Gill. What, what, a, what a comeback. All right. What a fight. Love it. Let's go to the Aussie rugby pitch, Luke. Here's the hit of the week brought to you by Declan Casey. Oh, oh, God. He got Bro, jacked he, up, He Luke. puts the shoulder into the... Boy, I'll tell you what. These, these Aussie rules or these rugby bubbas, the good ones, they're fucking... They're, they're units, bro. They are they are terminators. Good yeah, they Lord. don't wear pads either. Wow, Luke, right? He strips, they wear he, by the pads? way, he, look at he, uh, he call, I mean, I'm not sure what the term is in rugby, but he basically calls it a fumble. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure our Aussie fans will tell us what the hell just happened, but that looks like violence. That looks... Wow. Yeah. Uh, Luke Tyson Fury took over the uh, social channels. Let's hear what he had to say this week. I get asked on a regular basis, why am I in boxing? It's simple. I'm in boxing for two reasons. I'm in boxing for the money and for the pussy that come with it. Luke, I often get asked why I'm in the uh, combat journalism game. And, you know, I have to say at least half of that is true, Luke. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we just can't stop with all the pussy that gets flung at us. You know what I'm saying? It's just it never ends, BC. It never ends. Wow. By the way, Tyson is happily married. But, you know, who knows, Luke? Maybe maybe he's taken a a walk a few times. Uh, Upset City, Luke, in Dubai. As 41-year-old Guillermo Rigondeaux gets dropped in the eighth round of a unanimous decision loss to Vincent Astrolabio of the Philippines. Luke, we always assumed it would end sadly for for Rigo. Uh, Yeah, this is about it, I think. Damn, dude. He lost. So he took this fight to get, what, a big-ass check, right? Because there was just no money behind it. Yeah. Hope it was worth it, bro. I love him, but... You know, he was his own worst enemy. He got screwed by the promoters at times, and then he screwed himself. Oh, I hate to see it, because damn, what a talent. I love me some Rigo, but it's over, Luke. Wow. Hey, this guy doing it all for the gram on the BMX. Check it out, Luke. <laughs> Yo, I'm going to get road rash for the gram. Blah. I mean, I'm, trying to get, I'm trying to get you. impaled by bicycle gears for the gram. Uh, Luke, I got to introduce you to a new superhero. Um, On, on Saturday in... 
the Scottish heavyweight title in boxing was contested for, for the first time since 1951, between Nick Campbell and this green-haired freak show named Jay McFarlane, Luke. I love Scotland. God bless these people. Um, McFarlane is 23. He's got a record both, of... Are they both wearing kilts or just the guy on the right? Just the guy on the right who would go on to fight in the clip, in the kilt. Uh, McFarlane is 12 and 6. He's 23. His nickname is Ghost. And uh, he would go on to lose by TKO7. Here's a little bit of the action. I don't know how this became a televised fight, Luke, but I was all for it. What kind of sloppy shit is this? This is you and me, only these guys are more athletic <laughs> and, and less fat. We might have to get that guy on Morning Combat there, Jay McFarlane. That is wow. How, wow. how is that guy not boxing Big Tuna on CBS with Bellator promoting it? How is that not? Great point. Great point. Hey, BKFC Triller, can you guys get together and sign this guy up? Because he's probably going to do it anyway in the streets if you don't, you know, or the pubs if you don't let him. Yeah, but this All guy right. has definitely seen a few pub fights for sure. Best chugs of the week, Luke. Who did it better? First, PVZ at an Ireland pub taking down this pint. In what support is that, of cider? Hobby. That's not even, I mean, what is that, cider? That looks like a lager, right? What kind of lager is that? A pilsner? A pisner, right? Yeah, it's more of a pilsner, if anything. Pilsner okay. or, a, oh. or, a, or a cider. Okay, what about the skills here, Luke? Open that throat up. Um, you know, she listen, she committed to the bit. She got the whole thing down, but it wasn't exactly, who's our guy who drinks it like he's going to die? Oh. Oh, you talking about Ronnie Deutsch on Instagram? Ronnie Luke? Deutsch, yes. From New Hampshire? Let's go to Ronnie Deutsch. Let's have Ronnie show us how it's done, Luke. Now, granted, this guy will probably drop dead in a few years, but is I love... I'm oh, sorry, is that an AK-47 yes. beer glass? Yes. Yes. Slash okay, squirt gun. somewhat awesome. <laughs> He's about to turn it on himself, Luke. Um... I was going to make a joke here, but I'm not going to because it could get yeah, don't, serious. But um, don't, don't, don't do it, Luke. Don't do it. I mean, this guy is is the best in the world at what he does, Luke. This is the most American thing I've ever seen. And what, by the way, he's got one more for you on the way out, Luke. Okay. <laughs> this is look, the most he's throwing grenades. He's throwing grenades, Luke. He's throwing grenades. Oh, he's got another one. The only thing more American than this would be if this guy was like twice as fat. Otherwise, this is about the most American thing I've ever seen. So that's five beers plus the gun plus this Corona to close? Oh, and he does the swirly method? Wow. And he probably smoked a J beforehand. Look at this guy. Yeah. And he's still jacked and can dunk, Luke. I mean, I this don't, guy I, is... How, listen, why has he not run for office? Because I'm voting for him, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll have him on uh, January 6th for our anniversary show, Luke, okay? Yeah. When we, yeah. By the way, I'm really trying to get that Jan 6 MK merchandise line going. It's, it's, I'm, I'm hitting some hurdles, but we'll see what happens. All right, Luke. Uh, some men are in love with BBLs like yourself and have a passion yes. for it. Other men, they like balloons. Okay, let me see. Addicted to balloons. My love for balloons, it's also a sexual love. When I see a, a beautiful balloon, my heart starts to flutter, and I get aroused. I'll take a 12-inch, and I'll inflate it to 11-inch. That way, it can take a lot of abuse.
I mean, it can't be worse than like, like hoarders, that TV show, or I'm a 800 pound person, that other TV show. I mean, this is what is going on here, Luke. Okay, hey, let's go over to Eastern Europe, Luke. They know how to have fun with bow and arrows, right? Okay, okay, I'm still here too, Luke. All right, all right. You know what, Gaff? Maybe we'll skip this next one due to the war going on. It's a little bit insensitive. How about that? How about that, Luke? Uh, Gaff, are we still here? Yeah, let's have a little restraint. Gaff, can we advance to rate that, tat? please? Please. <laughs> Luke, it's time for everyone's favorite game show. It's called... All right, all right. Luke has dropped out. If we can get him back in, finish the shit. This episode off the rails. One of the worst, probably our worst episode of all time. Luke, I had a very interesting bow and arrow that was going to blow up a car, but the guy looked Russian. Let's not play that game. Let's skip let's that, go yeah. over to Let's go over to rate that tat, Luke, okay? Oh, here it is anyway. I guess we'll see it anyway. That's okay. I don't Thanks think for this your is. Thanks for your restraint, Gav. Uh, this guy sucks at holding an arrow. Yeah, but the impact, Luke. Oh, that's pretty good. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, there we go. You know what? Uh, people people who live in the woods, doesn't matter what language they speak, they're all kind of the same. They're all yeah, kind that of the is same. fair. All right, it's time, Luke. Rate that tat. Let's go to this UFC super fan who got Bruce Buffer on his leg. Luke, can you rate this? That's a mess. Um, <laughs> Yikes. Bruce looks like he has been eating his way through these. This is a not a great one. Not look at the hair, one. too. Look, I think it's time to get that covered up. What do you think, Luke? Okay. Yeah, I mean, this is all kinds of... Uh, he looks like Sloth from the Goonies in this picture. Uh, this is not great. And also, I mean, I will say this in defense of it. It will lighten up. This looks like a fresh tattoo. It will get less dark over time, so you'll be able to see some of the contrast a little bit more. But uh, that thing is that thing is busted. All right, let's go to Con this Conor McGregor super fan is all in. These are the front of his legs, Luke. Your thoughts on the detail? Now that is good. That is extremely good. Wow, that looks like a Steve Butcher tattoo. I'm not sure who did that, but that is, and it's not finished yet either. Um, that what do is... you What do you feel about you having the same tattoo on both legs so that when you put them together, it kind of becomes one? What do you think? Yeah, about that? I don't care for that. That's a little crazy. But if you're asking about the quality of the tattoo, it's extremely high. That's a very good tattoo. All right. We got one more UFC-related one. Check out this Nate Diaz weed tribute tattoo. 209 in the house. I think you should get this one. Oh, ho, ho. So this is dealing with a lot of negative space, obviously. Now that is a superb tattoo. That is Damn. very, very, you can see the different shades underneath his neck, right? That's good. Uh, That's the face really looks good. lifelike. The parts of the skin that sag or have other features you can see quite clearly. Um, that is a remarkably good tattoo. Wow, you got to be a real fan to get your favorite fighter on you like that, Luke. Yeah, that is hardcore and painful, too. That shading is not easy to get. but um, Like, Luke, I'm a huge Montana De La Rosa fan. I don't think I could do that, though, you know? <laughs> All right. Also, 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 where would you get that tattoo, huh? 
<laughs> Somewhere the people of my family couldn't see it, Luke. Let's go over to the last tattoo, Luke. Would there, would there be one? three needles on that tattoo? Oh, come on. Come on, Luke. Come on. Come on. I'm just asking a question. Gaff, can we speed this up a little here? This is one of our worst episodes ever, please. Let's go to the final tattoo. There we go. There we go, Luke. All right. I can't read it. Hold on. Uh, cheeseburger. Yes, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a great tattoo. I think we lost you. Are we losing everyone here, Gaff? What's happening? We lost BC. So hold on, BC. We got to wait for you to come back. I'm going to smoke a vape on here while we wait for BC to get back. Yeah, you can play the video, Gaff. There you go. Oh. Oh, Jesus. BC, where is this from? Because I can hear you. Yeah, dude. That see, that's actually not testifying in church because his arms don't flail. They just he just is handing people like a cup of coffee or something. That is yikes, bro. That is a super yikes. All right. Who would I rather be? Let's see. Let me see. This is me after Taco Bell, the opposite way. Bro, it looks like to me like they're trying to build something, and I don't know what it is. This is me on the su- no, no. This is me on the subways in New York City when the when the train's rattling. I'm just like, Mm-mm. all right. Would I rather be this guy? Let's see. Oh fuck me! This dude is about to just get it in the Bozak, right? He's got a hockey stick. You sure that's long enough, you fucking moron? (laughs) Eat a fucking dick. The only thing that would make this better is if this was a gender reveal. Fuck everyone in this picture. Hey, hold on, hold on. Go, go, hold on, hold on. Hey, guy with the stick, could you choke up more on the bat, you fucking idiot? But look how choked up he is on the fucking, on the stick. Jesus. All right, let me see what's next. <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. There's a sh- there's a there's a joint on the side. A bong. Holy shit balls. And then you can just straight oh, he drinks the bong water. Okay, that is Okay, my man is gross as fuck, and we got a party together. BC, BC, BC. Okay, let's just state this outright. The next time he comes to the States, we got to get him in studio. And not only will we do a shoey, we got to drink some bong water with this fucking guy. I can hear you. I can hear you. They They say you need to check your setup. Nobody can hear you. I can hear you. They can't hear you. Nobody can hear you, BC. You have to tell me what to tell the audience. Oh, Sinead Cavanaugh. So BC wants everyone to know Sinead Cavanaugh, her ability to deal with injury through odds and ends uh, with what we're doing here uh, was incredible. BC, we should just close because we can't get you back. You can ask me a question. 
I don't know why she didn't take her dead leg out. Uh, we'll do it by odds and ends at a different time. We'll do it for uh, Wednesday or whatever. All right, BC, we should probably close from here. This is a really ignoble end to the show, but probably the one we deserve, right? This is what you get. This is what you get. Cinderella turns into a pumpkin after two hours, motherfucker. This is what you get for dragging the show out. So I'll put it that way. Uh, he's laughing, everyone. All right. Uh, I want to thank everyone who watched. Thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. We appreciate you guys watching. Vote for us. Sports Podcast Awards. We, uh, you can do that. It, it would be appreciated. Morningcombat at gmail.com will be the email that you can send us all of your fan subs and complaints and dead wrongs for Friday. Showtime.com is your 30-day free trial opportunity. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go do something else. We are out of here. There will be today. There will be a extra credit. And then tomorrow, we're going to have another special little gift for you guys. So be on the lookout for that. And of course, pregame preview already up. For BC, for Malka, for Showtime, for everyone's patience, I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.